Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca, fresh off of a vacation. Luca, how are you feeling tonight? Fresh indeed. Yeah, no. Recharge the batteries a little bit down in the southwest, Arizona. Enjoyed some golf. It was a little on the warm side. Uh, got a, a good amount of burn going on and uh, everything <laughs> like that, but uh, doing good. I'm glad I was able to recharge and relax a bit. How'd the golf game do? Golf game was well, uh, went well. Um, I played TPC at the stadium course. Ooh, uh, nice. I, it got hot near the end, so I kind of struggled there late, but you know, wrapped up a round of 82, so 10 over. Can't complain for the you know first time playing there in right. over a decade. Um, and then I played another course I can't recall the following day, and I was definitely in it. Got warmer that day, and I was sore from playing the day before. Um, so I think I kind of finished, I think it was like an 86. So not my best. Uh, I, I finished that one strong. I remember actually, ironically enough, going like par birdie, birdie par. So in 86 with that as my final four could tell you kind of how it started. And, uh, but no, it went well. Hey, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. So are you the kind of person when you're on vacation, do you unplug from, sports and social media and just try to really focus on what you're doing? Or are you still plugged into the sports scene and Twitter and all that? So I try to keep update, you know, myself updated, uh, as much as possible kind of deal, but especially when I'm on vacation, yeah, I'm not looking at my phone too much. You know, I'm kind of relaxed and, uh, especially and on top of it, I should say being in the West coast when I'm very East coast driven, I mean, I was forgetting playoff hockey games were starting at, at that point, four o'clock in the afternoon. Right. So, yeah. So yeah, it was, I, I basically kind of, you know, I, I was probably at 25%. You know, I was really unplugged and not tracking too much going on. I'm the same way. And actually I was on vacation. We always go over the summer. So usually it kind of lines up with NBA finals, but I'll, I'll pick a spot to go to and go out and watch the games or whatever, especially like if, you know, LeBron's in it or a team I really care about. But I'll never forget one year I was on vacation and had really dedicated myself to unplugging and it was the week that Aaron Hernandez, all that stuff started happening. And I just missed it all. Like it went from Aaron Hernandez had a friend who died to Aaron Hernandez had a friend who was murdered to Aaron Hernandez might be a suspect to, okay, Aaron Hernandez has been arrested and released from the Patriots. And I just missed everything. And it was like, I came back from vacation. And I was like, oh, I did miss stuff. So it's a little bit wild, but I think it's always good for the old brain and the good, the mentals to uh, kind of take a step back and just give yourself a chance to recharge. Like you said, uh, we did have a little bit of Bill's news since the last time we talked some sad news, at least for me. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Luca, you feel the same way, but it is official, nothing unexpected, but Jerry Hughes time with the Buffalo Bills is over. He has officially signed a contract with the Houston Texans. Luca, we were talking about this a little bit uh, before the show today, how if Jerry Hughes was going to leave the Bills, we're both happy for him that he gets to go back home to Houston. That always seemed kind of like a goal for him. We wish him nothing but the best. I know Bills fans have a hard time agreeing unanimously on anything, but it's hard to imagine a scenario where any Bills fan has any negative feelings about Jerry Hughes. Yeah, I can't imagine one lick of... I just can't imagine one person out there being just negative about it and just saying, how could you leave us? I mean, one, he didn't leave us. We just basically have chosen to move on from him. It seems like, and two for everything he gave this team, especially through majority of his career, um, when 
there wasn't much to play for around here. And he was one of the shiny lights on a defense at times that wasn't very good on a team that wasn't very good. I mean, nothing but the best for him. I I hope, you know, in Houston, which is probably going to be a tough year, it's going to remind him of some of those early Bills teams he was on. Uh, But, you know, I'm, I am, like you said, I'm glad he went back to Houston. I'm glad he's back close to home and he's probably going to be able to enjoy himself and collect a bit of a check, you know, in his later years of his career and keep it going for a few more years and see how it goes and uh, enjoy himself a bit more. And he should get some playing time in Houston. They were definitely a candidate to take one of those high-end pass rushers in the draft. Instead, they opted for cornerback Derek Stingley, and then they went with the guard Kenyon Green with their second first-round pick. So Jerry Hughes joins Mario Addison down there in Houston. So good luck to both of them. Luca, I saw some debate today about Jerry Hughes being a potential Wall of Famer. Um, I think that's an interesting conversation. I think Jerry Hughes is one of those players that maybe you don't appreciate while he's here. And then when you kind of look back at it, you're like, man, he he was a lot better than I remember. And I almost liken him to like an Aaron Schobel and maybe even a Phil Hansen for some of our older fans. Phil Hansen, for the most part, predates me as a Bills fan. I remember a lot of his like tail end of his career stuff, but just what I hear about him. And my theory, Luca, is Jerry Hughes, Aaron Schobel, and Phil Hansen all rock solid players that you could count on year in and year out, almost take them for granted, put them in that starting spot and not worry about it. But at no point during their Bills tenure, were they the best player on defense? So like Phil Hansen obviously was competing with Bruce Smith and Bruce Smith is maybe the greatest player in the history of the franchise. Um, When Aaron Schobel was here, he was a very good player, but he was on a defense with guys like Takeo Spikes, London Fletcher, Pat Williams, Sam Adams, and um, Antoine Winfield, Nate Clements, Lawyer Malloy. You know, and you can say what you want to. I watched all of those games. I loved Aaron Schobel, but Takeo Spikes was the best player on those defenses, and it, it, and Pat Williams was right there too. And then Winfield and Schobel was in the mix. And then you look at Jerry Hughes, and it was he was here, but he also was here when Mario Williams was here, and when Kyle Williams was here. And then when those guys moved on, it was Micah Hyde and Jordan, Jordan Poyer and Tredavious White. And it's just interesting to me that I wonder if if this theory of mine has any merit, if that's maybe why he's underappreciated, because all those guys, Hughes, Phil Hansen, and Aaron Schobel, all had long tenures with the Bills. They all played right around the same amount of games. Phil Hansen, 156 games, Hughes, 140, 144, Schobel, 133. So they're all in that same ballpark. But at no point in time did it feel like it was their defense. Like right now, to me, it feels very much like it's the Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer defense, right? Like maybe that'll change once we see Von Miller take snaps. But the defense, the the identity of the defense is the defensive backfield, predominantly the two elite safeties. And I just, I've never thought about it when Hughes was here as like Hughes is the thing that makes the defense go. Even when the D-line was dominant under Jim Schwartz. Hughes was part of the machine with Darius and Mario Williams and Kyle Williams, but always felt to me like he was the fourth guy on that list. Um, So what do you think about my theory here that maybe that's why Hughes is a little underappreciated? I would agree with the sentiment that, you know, he was one of the pieces of the machine that necessarily isn't the highlight of it. Um, I I will say I don't view him as a wall of famer. I don't view, uh, I, I, it's hard for me to put him at the stature to the likes of anyone else that's currently on it. I, I feel like there is in my head, there is a gap 
whether it's big or small, I'm not sure, but there is a gap between him and everyone else on there. I, I don't see him quite at that stature. And whether that's his fault or not is neither here or there. He was definitely important, or at least a piece of the importance of that defensive unit the entire time he's been here. Um, but as you said, you know, this is the, we'll call it the safety defense. This is the Hyde Poyer defense currently, you know, and before he would be, I, I mean, he would be opposite of Mario Williams. And obviously he was always that guy who would come up in big moments. It seemed like, you know, maybe sometimes out of nowhere and you knew he was there, but that was pretty much it. Like you were never saying, you know, I don't think I ever remember myself once going, you know, I could really use Jerry Hughes stepping up and getting a sack here. I don't, I don't think I really remember ever saying that there's in, in no defense. Did I ever single him out and be like, he's the one that I'm expecting or hoping to make a play at this point. So I think to, to me personally, that's where that gap might start being created. Like if, if you're a wall of famer, you know, obviously, you know, 10 years definitely important. And obviously he checks that box, but 10 years important, but also the importance of you while you were here for that tenure is very important. And he was just one of the pieces. He wasn't necessarily the highlight. He wasn't necessarily, you know, someone that we would lean on at any point in time, I think to a point where you can be like, yeah. And then he came to play, came to the plate and, you know, did his job accordingly to then justify a wall of fame spot. I don't, I don't think he really hits that and it's no disrespect to him. I mean, I'm just holding wall of fame to a certain stature that he just falls just short and just underneath that line and that gap. And um, it's nothing against him as a player. You know, I, I've always enjoyed Jerry Hughes. Like I said, I, I feel like Jerry Hughes was that player that, you know, regardless of the game and stuff like that, he would just pop up and he would make important plays. Like he would definitely make himself known at times in a game when you want someone like him to be known. I just don't think it was at a high enough level to justify such a honor, we'll call it. So um, I do like your theory, though. I, I, I like your idea. And I think the like I said, the, to wrap that up, I, I think you going, you know, one of the pieces of the machine. I think is a pretty good thing for him because he was one of the pieces in the machine of multiple good, great offenses or defenses. Sorry. And, um, and that's good on him. And it, it, that shows just how important he was because you knew you could depend on him. It just, he wasn't a uh, high enough level of talent or high enough level of production. We'll call it to justify that wall of fame spot. And I'm looking at the wall of famers right now. Like I, I'm going to raise my hand. I did not have the list memorized. I knew some just from kind of seeing their name around it on the stadium, but I think you're right. I think this is a pretty, a, a pretty elite class. Like you have guys, obviously like Jim Kelly, Andre Reed, Thurman Thomas, who are hall of famers, Bruce Smith, Marv Levy of that nature. Um, you have Steve Tasker, who's like a borderline hall of famer in the conversation every year. And you do have Phil Hansen, who I do think is a fair comparable to Jerry Hughes. But what's interesting, Luca, is Jerry Hughes may end up being a victim of timing here because you know how it goes in sports. It, it's not always apples to apples. If you're a player on a team that wins a championship, you're automatically viewed much more sentimentally than players that aren't. And if these Buffalo Bills under Josh Allen make it through and win an AFC championship and then ultimately win a Super Bowl, anybody on that team is going to be thought of, not anybody, like the the backup punt returner probably isn't a good point for this, but 
the the good players on that team are going to far outshine the good players on the teams that didn't do that. That's just the way it goes in sports. That might be why a Phil Hansen is on the on the wall of fame. If Phil Hansen pay, played for the Bills, had his same exact Bills career during the time that Aaron Schobel was here, would he be a wall of famer? I kind of doubt it. So this could be a thing where, you know, Jerry Hughes maybe left at the wrong time. Maybe he tiki barbered himself. And again, like you said, this isn't his choice. Like he, he was, he just, they didn't want to bring him back. It was pretty obvious. I will say one thing in fairness to him. And I agree with you. I don't remember ever watching a Bills game and you know, your brain and your heart are your two most honest organs, right? Like, so when you're watching a game, you're, you're thinking to yourself, like your emotions will tell you what you think of a player. And whenever the Bills need a big stop, especially recently, I'm sitting there thinking, come on, Poyer, come on, Hyde, come on, Milano, uh, you know, come on, Oliver. Like, I'm thinking like that. Like, I'm watching Ed Oliver. If he doesn't get initial push, I'm going right back to the safeties and seeing if Hoyt and Pyre, Hoyt and Pyre, Poyer and Hyde are going to make a play or Tredavious White. But it is funny. On that 13 seconds drive that I swear we're not going to just bring up every single episode, on that last play where you, you all have seen the video now where Kelsey and uh, Mahomes are doing kind of drawing it up in the dirt pre-snap, right? And and Mahomes is yelling, do it, do it, do it, Kelsey, because Kelsey cannot believe nobody's jamming him at the line. And Kelsey just runs up field, catches the ball. You've all seen the play. On that play, if literally anybody on the Bills defense, and weirdly enough, F.A. Obata is the player that's in best position to do this, just puts a hand on Kelsey. I don't mean gets a jam on him, but just like slows him up just a millisecond. Jerry Hughes cleanly beats his block at the line of scrimmage and smashes Mahomes. Luca, I know you've seen the all 22 of that. If anybody just delays Kelsey a half a second, Jerry Hughes has the most clutch play that we've seen in our lifetimes, even better than the Taron Johnson interception. And it's just, it's a game of inches. And that one just wasn't his day. He did everything he could possibly do on that play, except his teammates didn't help him out. So you know, tip of the cap to Jerry Hughes. Great career. I think I side with you, though. I, I don't view him as a wall of famer. I think he's kind of like right on that fringe. I will. I have a hard time putting anybody in until Eric Moulds gets on there. All due respect to uh, Fred Jackson. But Eric Moulds has to be up there. Kyle Williams I've pr- probably outranks Eric Moulds. I will say that just for everything he did in the community and for like what he meant to the team. But, you know, give me Eric Moulds over Jerry Hughes every day of the week. How has it been this long? And still Eric Moulds is not on there. Yeah, I, I don't, don't understand that. It, it blows my mind. I don't get it. How how has he not gotten that recognition? I sorry, I don't want to get caught up on that. It just still just puts my mind in a blender. Well, if you're ready for your mind to be in a blender, Luca, tonight we are gonna make you predict when every Bills game and every NFL game is gonna be. Let's just you thought mock drafts were fun. Luca is gonna mock the entire schedule yeah, tonight. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, speak with the mind in a blender conversation, we were talking a little bit about, okay, what's the pulse of this show tonight going to be? Because we're, we're at this weird phase of the off season, right? Where up until this point, and we started this show, we're on episode nine now. So nine weeks ago, you know, we had, we started right in the heart of free agency and it was just the episodes pretty much wrote themselves. It was amazing. And then when free agency cooled down, it was, we were ramping up for the draft and it was we're diving into all these prospects and just looking at every position group, overanalyzing everything. Then the draft happens and we're, we spend last week going through all the picks they make, what it could mean for the future. 
And now, you know, there's still some lingering topics out there. Like what are the bills going to do at backup interior offensive line? What are they going to do at backup boundary wide receiver? James Bradbury is going to be released today. Is there a reason for the bills to be interested in him despite drafting Elam? So there's conversations to be had along those lines, but just reading the pulse of bills mafia on Twitter, being honest with myself about the content that I've looked for this week. Like I have not been seeking out the normal like Bill's roster podcast that I normally have. I think my brain needs a little bit of a break from that conversation after just diving deep into the draft and, and just, I, I almost need a break. And to me, my brain is much more on, let's just kick around this schedule. It happens this week. The schedule's coming out. Let's talk about what's going on with who the bills are going to play, when they're going to play, what we prefer. So Luca, when you look at the Bills schedule, is there a game, an opponent, that just stands out to you above and beyond the rest? Ooh. Um, one singular opponent? Um, I mean, I'll, a little bit of me, and I know this is going to kind of buck the trend, but I, I'm really excited to see Green Bay. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick them in this. One, because I'm just doing this from the lens of myself, and, and I'll get into that in a second. But then, two, it's kind of fun to not choose what I believe to be probably. I don't even think this is probably in most people's top three. We'll call it at. The, yeah, I'll say top three, but I'm going to say Green Bay because uh, I'm just a big Aaron Rodgers guy as a player on the field. I, I have loved watching Aaron Rodgers for as long as he's been, you know, starting for Green Bay all these years now. And he, he's just he's always kind of been the the benchmark of greatness at the quarterback position for a long time to me and and you know obviously maybe not with results because it's hard to say that's not Tom Brady or Peyton Manning depending on who you are in that debate but Aaron Rodgers skill is you cannot question just how elite it is and how great he has been for a long time I mean there's a reason he's won as many MVPs as he has um he's had numerous seasons where Green Bay has been the one seed I mean it's he is just an elite quarterback and just such a high standard for a long time. And he's been able to maintain that for a long time. And I love watching green Bay. So now the bills have to host green Bay while Josh Allen is probably an MVP. not even probably he is the MVP favorite going into this season. So we get to watch Aaron Rodgers, the current back to back MVP of this league versus who we all hope here in Bill's Mafia to be the eventual MVP, Josh Allen. And how can I not be excited for that quarterback matchup? It's not a regular one. Obviously, you know, being that it's NFC versus AFC, that's not something we get the pleasure of more regularly than every four years, unless we were to meet them in the Super Bowl. But um, obviously we hadn't in the past and it's, you know, unlikely going forward, depending on how long Rodgers plays for. So to have the pleasure to see Allen versus Rodgers, at home, that is probably the one matchup to me that I am very excited for. I just love elite quarterback play. Who doesn't? And it's a it's a fun matchup. That's not your typical Mahomes Allen. It's not Lamar Allen, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. It's 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 kind of fresh, it's, it, but still at that standard. And also, I mean, on top of it all, to pull the curtain away from the Bills for a second just to see what Green Bay is going to do without Devontae Adams. Can right. Aaron Rodgers still do everything that he can without that elite weapon 
on top of it. Like it, that is a matchup that I am very much looking forward to. And, and I don't normally go to games. I know we've discussed, you know, off air and things like that, what I do on my Sundays. And it's normally, you know, all my friends coming over, my house is the house with all the displays. You know, I got games left and right, you know, four monitors going. That is probably a game that I, depending on when it is in the time of year and things like that, you know, and we'll obviously find out real soon. That is one I might, you know, flirt with the idea of getting tickets to. That's one I would probably want to see. And I went to, I don't even like preseason games. And uh, a friend of mine last year offered me free preseason tickets. Now they were free, but offered me free tickets to the Green Bay game. And preseason stinks, but I was like, oh, you know, I want to watch Green Bay. I know Rodgers isn't there, but I just, Green Bay is a fun team to watch. And then, of course, the Bills are a fun team to watch. So that's a matchup right there that, yeah, if you if you're, you know, you put a gun to my head and ask me what's the one matchup I probably am going to want to watch myself personally the most, I'll go with Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, you get to see arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time play. And it is interesting. You talked about that Josh Allen versus Aaron Rodgers dynamic. They have met one time before in the regular season. If you're out there and you're listening to this and you're trying to remember when it was, don't be mad at yourself. It was a very forgettable game. It was Josh Allen's rookie year. And if we all remember the game in Minnesota where the Bills were double-digit underdogs, Josh Allen's hurdle over Anthony Barr, and the Bills smashed the Vikings 27-6, to and we're all riding a high. Well, the next week, the Bills go to Lambeau Field to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and the Bills lose 20 set, or I'm sorry, 22 to nothing. And I'll never forget after this game, Aaron Rodgers had just won 22 to nothing. And after the game, he seemed upset. And he's like, we're not going to go anywhere if we play like this. (laughs) It's like, you just smashed our team. We couldn't even basically get a first down. And you're mad about how you look. And it's just, it's amazing. Like that was, you know, the Bills had made the playoffs in 2017. They were not a good team in 2018, Josh Allen's rookie year. But it's just like, it's so amazing how far the Bills have come. Think about maybe how you might have felt last year after the Bills went down to Miami and won 35 to nothing over the Dolphins, but it was more like the Dolphins just couldn't move the ball and there were turnovers and a long Devin Singletary run and the offense really didn't do a whole lot despite scoring 35 points. And the tone of Bills fans were like, I mean, that was cool, but we got to play better. And Dolphins fans are like, you just came down here and beat us in our house 35 to nothing and you're upset about it. So I think that's a great call. I love that. And you know what's interesting, and we will talk about the one game we already know where it's at. There's rumors about other games we're going to get into also. But you know what's interesting about the reason why I asked you that question is I was thinking about it myself. And do you know what game I really am just kind of over? And I don't want to sound like a Sour Grapes fan. I'm kind of over the Bills-Chiefs game. Like, I don't know. There's almost nothing that could happen in the Bills-Chiefs regular season game that would make me happy. Because... I've seen the Bills now go to Arrowhead and smash the Chiefs on national TV. They did that last year. No matter what happens in that game now, there's stuff that can make me mad. If the Chiefs, who don't have Tyreek Hill, who are supposed to be downgraded this year because of that Tyreek Hill trade, if they come out and they beat the Bills by 30 points, I'm going to be questioning a lot of things going on in Bills land. But I will remind myself that the Bills lost by almost 30 points to the Colts at one point. The regular season is a roller coaster ride and almost zero individual results matter that much. But I just, there's like the Bills playing their best game in say October or November in Arrowhead is just going to fall kind of hollow to me. Like, okay, we did it, but I, I need to see it in January at this point. Like I'll believe it when I see it. 
And I do think the Bills are better than the Chiefs. But it's just one of those things where I almost wonder, Luca, if it's kind of like how the Colts felt back when they were playing the Patriots every year and they couldn't get over the Patriots hump in the playoffs. They'd beat them in the regular season from time to time. I wonder if that's kind of how Colts fans were feeling like, okay, like we're even we're getting tired of this game being hyped up. Like we need to just beat these guys in the playoffs. They finally did in 2006 when they won their first Super Bowl. I don't know. Are you with me on that or are you still really hyped about Bill's Chiefs? I think. Let me really think about that one for a second. You know, I don't want to give you a off the cuff answer here. No, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you just a bit. I, I can fully understand where you're coming from. I can fully get it. It's just I, as a football fan, always will enjoy that matchup for as long as Mahomes and Allen are there in those situations, which seems like it's going to be for a long time. I will enjoy that. I, I, I think I think you make a great point about the Colts uh, Patriots era with the, you know, Brady, Brady versus Manning, you know, episode 14. Right. You know, it was it was like when they would make the graphics for that, when you're hitting the Roman numerals X and then additionally from there, I can definitely see how the Colts fan base gets old with that. You know, it's like, okay, let's it only matters in the playoffs at this point. I don't really care about the regular season. I can fully understand that kind of viewpoint on it. I just love watching good football. And and, uh, as heartbreaking as that game was, the last game we saw as Bills fans with our team in it. It was possibly one of the best football games we've watched in the past five years, let's say, overall. If, you, if you're if you able to take the fandom out of it and you're able to just look at that game as a whole, that is one of the best football games you were able to watch in the past five years. I mean, it was a phenomenal game, and it started slow. It was a little sluggish, and you know, even the third quarter wasn't great, but man, did that thing build up quick, and it was an electric factory in the fourth quarter. And, and, and I love that. I always want that. You know, I want to be entertained. I, I want to win. Winning is always the most important thing, but as a football fan, I always want to be entertained. So I think I disagree a little bit there. I think I would, I just, I'm always okay with that matchup. I can just also understand where it's going to get stale. It's going to get a little bit old where it's like, all right, I don't really care about this game that much in the regular season. So it's almost like a precursor to what seems inevitable in the playoffs. Right. And that's where I think I can kind of understand where you're coming from. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to ever root against playing. Well, other than the fact that it's tough to play Kansas city in Arrowhead, you know, I'm not going to fully root against it in the regular season just because it's good football. It's entertaining. And, you know, hopefully we win it every time. I mean, especially this year, I, and I'm sure we'll get into it a, a little bit later when we dive into other games that are there and whatnot and how scheduling might work. But um, yeah, I'm I'm not against it. I'm, I'm not nearly as against it as you are or negative feeling about it, I guess, would be the better way to put it as you are. Um, that's just me, though. No, I think you're probably in the majority. I think it's one of those things similar maybe to win. This is not very similar because the Bills teams in the drought were nowhere near as good as these Bills teams but maybe similar to the drought bills, how we circled the Patriots. Like we got to get those guys. We got to get those guys. And to me, the bills are on the same level as the chiefs. They just, they choked away a game in the playoffs. I don't know what it is. I think it's just, I'm not ready. Like I'm not, I feel like if I get too excited about the bills beating the chiefs in the regular season again, it's almost like I'm setting myself up to be an idiot again. If that makes any sense, like, Oh, we beat them now. We And then the playoffs come around. We still have to do it. I don't know. Um, I, I can tell you that, 
the week of any game, the week of any game, I get hyped about it. Like we're going to play Detroit at some time this season. And I will be talking to Luca on discord and on this particular podcast. Like, I don't know, Luca, there are three good players here. And if the bills do this, like I, I could see a path where the bills lose. And you'll be like, no, dude, we're not losing the lions. We're fine. It's, it's a pattern that Luca and I go into every week. He has to talk me off the ledge because I turn into negative Nancy as the week goes on. But it's just, to me, the Chiefs game last year was a, you circle it on the schedule when the schedule comes out and you just can't wait for it. I don't think that's the case this week. I think there will be other games I circle ahead of it. Like, I'm really interested to see uh, Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson again. Like, I really want to see that, particularly in Baltimore. Like, we haven't seen it in Baltimore. We saw the playoff game in Buffalo. We saw it in 2019 in Buffalo. But can Josh Allen go to Baltimore and beat Lamar Jackson in his own house? That's a lot of fun. Um, Cincinnati, like they're a team on the rise. They were in the Super Bowl last year. We have to go to Cincinnati and play them in their building. Um, we obviously are going to talk about the Rams game in, in LA. The Bills right now, they play four playoff teams on the road this year. And that's not counting Baltimore, who probably would have been a playoff team had they not had a rash of injuries. So it's not an easy schedule by any means. Um, all right, Luca, let's get into the Rams game because I believe, well, actually, let's let's go ahead and start with what we know. Earlier this week, it was announced that the Bills' Week 2 opponent is going to be part of a Monday night football doubleheader against the Tennessee Titans in Buffalo. And it's kind of an interesting kickoff time. It started at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and it's a staggered start. So the Minnesota Vikings take on the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia later that night. But that game kicks off at like 8.30 Eastern time. Don't quote me on that. Essentially, that game will kick off when the Bills and Titans are nearing halftime. So it's not a true doubleheader. I kind of like that because as much as I love football, I have the ability to watch two games at once if I really want to. Not that I'll be really focusing on an Eagles-Vikings matchup when a Bills game is on, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't need to have them solo slots on a Monday night. I'm perfectly capable of watching two games at once, especially if it's not one of my favorite teams. So let's let's not keep people up till one in the morning watching football. But Luca, how do you feel about the Titans on Monday Night Football in week two? I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of them uh, sliding it early. I like playing tougher matchups earlier in the season, and I know we're probably going to dive into this more. I just think um, when it comes to tough matchups, I don't or I should say when it comes to playing good teams, when that's what I kind of mean when I say tough matchups, when it comes to playing good teams, I would I feel like it's kind of like the Patriots and all those Brady years. They would start two and two and, you know, three and one, one and three. They've they've had oh and four starts, I think, to start a year once. I don't think it was. It was a long, long, long time ago. Maybe it wasn't oh and four. It was like oh and two, one and three. But anyways, um, they always started slow and then they would kind of get in their groove and they would really feel it out. And by the mid to late October time, they would really be jiving. So when it comes to November, December time, they're just a well-oiled machine and they're just slaughtering teams, right? They're just, everything's in, everything's in motion. You know, everyone understands their role. The, the offense is clicking. The defense knows its positions, assignments, what it needs to do. That's what good teams do. They, they kind of, figure it out because a lot of those good teams, you know, so let's say in this case, Tennessee, I don't see Derrick Henry taking many snaps, if any at all in the preseason. So he's going to have to stretch his legs eventually and figure it out. A case in point about Derrick Henry is the week one game last year against the Cardinals. He ran 
13 times for 40 yards or something like that, he looked like a shell of himself. And honestly, it was because he didn't touch a ball once in the preseason. He hadn't had game time. So he wasn't really up to game speed yet. And the Cardinals came out and kind of put out a shocker. They did. They had a horrible run defense the year before. So I'm sure the Titans looked at the, you know, previous year tape and maybe some preseason tape and sprinkled in there and were like, you know, thought they could do some things. But what they didn't expect was J.J. Watt and all that stuff dominating, blowing up the line and all that fun jazz. That's what happens. So when you play good teams, I kind of like playing them a little early. Now you add a prime time in Buffalo. I mean, the house is going to be rocking for that one. A Monday night home game early on when the weather's nice. Oh, baby. You know, I I love that time of year here in Buffalo. It is perfect weather. That is that is what we call, I mean, football weather, truthfully, is late September, early October. That would have been like, if you could have done this, like, you know, week three, not to nitpick here, but like week three, four at home, that would have been just a chef's kiss, just football weather. Although it's at nighttime, so maybe you get that little, you know, chill in the air a bit since, you know, we are Buffalo. So it's not exactly like we're Arizona here and it's 100 degrees. Um, I love it. I, I love it. I don't want to ramble on too much more about this. I, I, I personally like playing Tennessee. I welcome playing these tougher matchups early because as much as obviously I said that Bill, you know, good teams need to get going. And obviously we could be considered to be the best team in the league. I like our chances any week of the day. So why not just see if they're not fully geared, you know, Derek Henry doesn't have his legs under him yet. I'm very okay with that. That, that kind of, I feel like gives us an advantage. If you want to say that there's no advantage. I mean, it's, it's the Titans. There were one seed last year for a reason, but um, I'm, I'm, I welcome the week two Monday night. I love the double header thing just real quick too. I love doing it. Well, the stacked double header, we'll call it. You know, it, the 7.15 to 8.35 kickoff or whatever it is. You know, I'm 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 a big fan, too. I like that. You know, as you said, I got multiple screens. I can put the Eagles-Vikings game on a small one there. Like you said as well, I'm not going to be too focused on it, but I can watch two games at once. I'm very okay with that. I hope they actually kind of look at this. I hope the ratings are good and they kind of keep this going in years to come because... I like reducing the amount of log jam that is the Sunday at one slot. You know, if we can kind of reduce that regularly and maybe cut that down to like four or five games at most, that would be nice. So I'm a big fan of that too. I I definitely want to add that. I'm, I think I saw one person out there talk about how they don't like that. The bills being on Monday night's not going to be their own thing. Who cares? Who, who have, do you think the general football fan is going to probably choose Vikings Eagles over Bills Titans? Not in a million years. I, I don't know how any casual football fan who has no, you know, no cheddar in the game is going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to choose Vikings Eagles over that Bills Titans game. That makes no sense to me. If that matters to you, even it doesn't matter to me. I don't give a shit. Like, I want to watch the Bills play. I love the Monday night. I like it being at home. So I know that, you know, that crowd's going to be insane. It, Monday night's here. It, nighttime primetime games at home, that's a wild crowd. You give this area, I mean, especially with Monday night, you're get there are going to be there people in the lots come, you know, Friday night, Saturday morning, and they're just going to be rearing to go, probably asked off for work on Monday. And they'll be, I mean, three days deep in trying to get ready for that game. So, it's going to be an electric atmosphere. Nice early in the season. Hopefully, you know, 
that can energize the boys early on and carry it to a big, big, big win early in the year to jumpstart the season. There are few things in life I'm more confident in than that the Bills are just going to smash the Titans in week two. The way the last two games have gone in Tennessee, the way the last one particularly ended, um, the way the crowd's going to be amped up, the way I think the Bills are a significantly better team than the Titans, despite how the last two results have gone. Um, you you brought up a good point about a fan saying, "How I wish we had the spotlight to ourselves. You know, if you're out there and you think that, I, I understand it, I guess, but I would beg you to get out of that mindset. To me, that is a very drought bills mindset where, where you seek attention because attention doesn't seek you. Um, and, you know, you get your, the drought bills, we get their one Thursday night game every year against Miami or the Jets. And then maybe we'd be lucky enough to go play New England on Monday night. And we know we're going to lose, but hey, we're under the lights. Um, that's not the life we live anymore, guys, guys and girls. We have a box office team with a box office quarterback. The primetime slots want the Bills. So it doesn't matter if the week two Monday night football slot is shared with the Vikings and the Eagles. But to Luca's point, unless you're a Vikings or an Eagles fan or you have fantasy skin in the game, most people are going to choose to watch the Bills because of Josh Allen. He is box office. He's like Steph Curry. You know, you watch Golden State because of Steph Curry. So I, I think that's kind of a mindset fans need to get out of this. This Bills team under Sean McDermott, they played the Cowboys slot on Thanksgiving. That's about the biggest regular season slot there is. They're the odds on favorite to play the opening day Thursday night slot this year. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, they've played high profile playoff games. They played Thanksgiving night slot last night against our last year against New Orleans. They've played Sunday night football and Arrowhead Monday night football. They, they've been all over the place. So I don't think you have to worry about a, somebody stealing attention from the bills. Networks are trying to get the bills on. Um, that's not really the life we live anymore. But I think what's interesting also is your point about playing a tough team early. If I'm honest with myself, I used to, you know, back in the drought bills days where it's just like, man, can we just get to nine wins on a 16 game schedule, nine or 10 wins, and maybe we sneak into the playoffs. So the schedule comes out. And the first thing I thought of was like, just give me an easy team on opening day. Let's just let's just get to one and zero. Let's just get the season off on the right foot, and then you never know what's going to happen. Maybe you start stacking a few wins and you really make your way to the playoffs. Like you said, I I don't look at these Bills opponents at all and think, oh well, they're going to lose this one. There's not one game on this schedule I look at and say, oh, this is a loss. I'm not at all telling you the Bills are going to go seventeen and zero. I would not predict that. But what I am telling you is, I don't care if it's at the Ravens, I don't care if it's at the Bengals, at the Chiefs, at the Rams, at the Patriots, I'm going to expect the Bills to win that game. They're not going to win them all, but I'm not scared of anybody. What I will say is, one thing I think we learned last year against Pittsburgh is week one is very strange in the NFL. Luca, you brought up the Titans-Cardinals game. The Titans look like they didn't even belong on the same field as the Cardinals, and then the Titans went on to be the number one seed in the AFC. The Bills played against Pittsburgh at home. And I think the Bills were maybe an eight point favorite. I can't remember correctly. And the Bills could not do anything offensively, had a breakdown on, on punt on a punt game and got a punt blocked for a touchdown, lost a game at home to Pittsburgh. To me, going into like what the ideal home, what the ideal opening game is, to me, the worst case scenario is to play a team at home that you probably should beat. So, because I just feel like week one 
is just such a wild card. Like Luca mentioned with Derrick Henry, a lot of these teams, it's going to be the first time these star players are really extending themselves. It's these teams really can't game plan for each other because there's nothing really good on tape. It's just preseason and last year and there's coaching changes. So what I wouldn't really want to see is the bills open up with a game like Miami where they have brand new head coach, um, decent roster, but a game the Bills should win. It's a game that's going to be ultra important in the standings for division and conference and all that. But it's under that week one umbrella where anything can happen or a team like even Minnesota, where it's like, I think the Bills would beat Minnesota nine times out of 10. But in week one, week one always feels a little bit more like a flip of a coin than it should be. So to me, give me a game like a game in the ra- against the Rams, where if the Bills lose it, it's like, okay, well, they lost to a team they, they probably could have lost to anyway. Like I don't know if they'd even be favored against the Rams in, in LA. That's the kind of game I want. I don't want an easy game that we could end up giving away because week one is just a liar and fickled. So I don't really have a preference for week one. It seems like maybe now the wind is blowing toward the Bills being that team that plays the Rams. Luca, there was a point in time yesterday where tweeted out from the podcast account that when the news came down of the Bills playing the Titans week one, that our week two, that I speculated week one would be a road game. And you quickly DM me and said, no, um, there was an email that went out to season ticket holders that said that the home opener would be announced on Thursday and then compound that with the Eagles actually did announce that their game against the Vikings in week two was the home opener. And the chiefs announced that their game that got already announced against the chargers week two is their home opener. And the bills very carefully did not announce that and their release of the Titans game led a lot of people to believe that that week one game is in fact going to be a home game, which would rule them out for the Rams. So I don't know where to fall on it now, Luca, because Sal Capaccio said on WGR that the reason why the chiefs and the Eagles knew their game was going to be the home opener is because they were booked for baseball games in that market. And those, those cities don't like to have baseball games and football games on the same day due to traffic circumstances. So that's why they knew they weren't going to play at home that day. So I don't know what to believe at this point. And then there was the LA times report today that all signs are pointing toward the bills and the Rams. I'm kind of in that mental pretzel. I was about Brees hall. I don't know what to think about the home. What about the opening game? Where are you falling on it? I am not letting myself fall on any sort of rumor trap with that one. I am I am fully separated. I I will be happy if we are. I will be happy if we're not. I'm not going to give a crap until it is officially announced come Thursday. I think that's the one game that realistically it, it's so hard to just it's so hard to just hone in and be like, well this is going to be it. I mean, the funny part about it, what I think when it comes to the Rams in the opener. So I'll, I'll step away from it as a bills fan here and just look at, okay, who are the Rams playing and blah, 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 and go through it all. And the, the cynic in me goes, well, the NFL wants the Cowboys to be as many primetime slots as they can. That's an easy one to justify, but it's hard to justify in the sense of, well, they gave them kind of that exact situation last season when they went to Tampa to kick off the year because Tampa was the defending champs. And then you had the Cowboys. So it'd be really (laughs) part of me would be like it would it would almost be like the the NFL admitting to every casual football fan if they chose the Cowboys as the Rams opponent for that opener Thursday night and being like, yeah, 
we love to put the Cowboys in that slot because we know that's the biggest draw we have to offer. And me personally, I'd, I'd almost respect it. I'd be like, I get it. That game, that game specifically is really just two things. You're honoring the defending Super Bowl champ, the team that had just won the previous game played in this league. And then you're just, you're home, you're owning up to the fact that the Cowboys are the most polarizing team you have in your league. They draw the most attention in the league, I would imagine, because you either love them or you hate them. And everyone has a love or a hate of that team. I don't know one individual that goes, yeah, they are the Cowboys, right? You either love them or hate them. So the league would be like, yeah, this is a money grab opportunity. And we have the biggest money grab here in the Cowboys. Why not just marry that? I mean, it should just be, it should be the annual Super Bowl champ versus the Cowboys because we know the Cowboys are never going to actually win the Super Bowl. So you can just literally chalk that up and be like, yeah, so you got the Super Bowl champ versus the Cowboys every year to kick off the year. It, it would be almost poetic. But um, all that aside, I would love to see the Bills be in that game. I think that would be fun, but I am very indifferent. I do not care. Ultimately, I think it would be cool to have a Thursday night game. And I know you'll probably I, I don't know if you brought this up. I was kind of uh, doing a little digging here of something else real quick. Because a lot of stuff's flooding in here when it comes to rumors and whatnot, but um, it would be interesting to have a Thursday night game to kick off the year and then have all that time before the Monday night game. I think that would be really cool. It would almost give us a little extra prep time for a much more important game, if you want to call it that, with the Titans week two. That would have me feeling good when it comes to just time off, recoup. Let's get ready for a much more important, uh, meaningful to the conference game. We'll call it. Um, but other than that, I don't really see a benefit or negative side to that game. I, I, it's the Rams. It's, you know, out of conference. Um, it's not like I'd be going to that game. And if it was that day, it definitely would rule it out for me as a possible vacation spot. I, there no chance in the world I'd be, you know, going there on a Thursday early, early in the year that uh, I'll pass on that. But it, yeah, I, I'm not going to let the rumors get to me. I'm not going to breeze hall myself here. I'm not going to I'm not going to go into that blender space and put my mind in a pretzel and really buy into all these rumors or not buy into the rumors or whatever you want to call it. I'm just going to wait until Thursday on that one, but it'd be cool if it is. I'm indifferent if it isn't. I I kind of do like the first Sunday being a Bills game, too. Yeah. Like I I know we were talking in the Discord about or at least I mentioned it to Nino. I was like, "Man, I honestly obviously We've never had it, but it's like I can't imagine the opening Sunday and not having a Bills game. That would be so weird. It would be like the bye week feel at my house where we're watching all these other football games and there's no Bills game. So you have the red zone on your main screen the whole time, it seems like, right? and for the one o'clock slot. And then the 425 slot, you just spread out the games how they are. There's no Bills game. And it just feels almost too relaxed, too casual. And I don't want that for my week one almost. If if we were playing the Rams, the I'm, I, let me also say, like, I'm not saying I'll actually be disappointed. I'll be super pumped that Sunday football is back, but it would just feel weird. It'd feel different. So, yeah, that's all I got on that, really. I mean, it, I'm not going to let myself buy into the hype. I'm not going to let myself buy into all these rumors. And if it is or is not happening, I'm just I have been relaxed about it. I am indifferent about it. If it happens, cool. If not, no big deal. Football Sundays week one will feel exactly like they always have been. And I'm excited to whoever we'd be playing then at that point as well. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't even think about it from that respect of sitting there week one and not seeing the Bills play. I think the last time that would have happened would have been the McKelvin game in New England where the Bills were on Monday Night Football. Um, they certainly haven't been in the Thursday night opener. The thing about Thursday night football, and it's been a minute since the Bills have been on there. I guess they were on there this past Thanksgiving is Thursday night football. If your team plays on it, sets the tone for your entire weekend. If the Bills play the opener against the Rams and they lose, we're all just going to be in a bad mood that weekend. Football is not. I mean, it's going to be opening day. We'll probably be a little bit closer to over it by then, but it's still going to be like, we got to wait. 10 days for the bills to play another game. And now I'm watching all these other teams play and we're not even at the party, but if the bills win and you already have that one and O in your pocket and you can just sit back and watch the rest of the league stress-free on opening day, that works for me. I'm, I'm in. So can we get the bills to guarantee us that they're going to win week one on the Rams? Cause I signed me up for that uh, really quick. You did mention that there's more rumors coming in. Do you have an opinion on this Twitter account, NFL schedule leaks? I, I, just kind of came across it today. I'm not sure if it's reputable or not. I have been going under the mindset of cautiously optimistic that it has some sort of inside source. This is the time of you know year or time of week when it comes to schedule release week where there are legitimate people leaking out information about this. I mean, every year we go through this, this eventually happens when it comes to the actual release date night. You're kind of just waiting to see how all the other one and four o'clock games, we'll call them, just fill in because it seems like by that point in time. So let's say in this circumstance, I believe it is Thursday at eight o'clock is they're doing the schedule release show on the NFL network. Um, At that point, every primetime game, I feel like every year is already known. Uh, basically, uh, essentially, maybe not, you know, the Thursday night weekly as well. That'll be on Amazon Prime this year and stuff like that. You know, we won't know those necessarily, but like the big Monday night games, the big Sunday night games, your, you know, your season kickoff opener will be, you know, leaked. Everything like that will be leaked. So I think I'm cautiously optimistic that it is a, it is a reputable source. It's one that I think I can at least put some sort of weight into when it comes to an opinion and be like, okay, this is happening because you know, we can talk about, and we'll probably be talking about this topic very soon, you know, when it comes to one of the games that we potentially could be playing or a day we could be playing on, um, because now it has come out with other verified accounts of the same thing that this Twitter account was essentially first on putting out there. So that kind of almost gives it a little bit of credibility and gives that Twitter account like, okay, maybe they really do know something because then a rumor just came out after this other one was confirmed, and again, I'm, I'm being a little vague here because I'm sure we'll dive into it in a second. That same Twitter account came out with another rumor that kind of is an interesting highlighted note of our season. And um, so, yeah, I, I think at this point in time, it's something we can trust with a little grain of salt, we'll call it. You know, it's something we can definitely put in the back of our mind and be like, OK, this is probably happening. So I just went over to Benjamin Albright's account because he's kind of like the one that will not, will call out other insiders if they're full of shit. And seven hours ago, he said it's fake NFL schedule leak account season. So <laughs> I'm, I'm now I'm a little bit apprehensive that this, that this account is legit. And apparently it was created three days ago. So oh, I course. don't know. 
One thing I will tell you is I'm about to tell everybody that's listening to do something that I will never, ever recommend they do again. And I can promise you that I recommend everybody listening, stop what you're doing, get on Twitter and go to the Miami Dolphins Twitter page and watch the video they just posted of Tua throwing a deep ball to Tyreek Hill. And they try their best to manipulate the camera to make it look like it was a beautiful pass. When the ball comes down to Tyreek Hill, he is fielding it like he's fair catching a punt. He literally was running, had to stop, turn around, and catch it in his belly. And the Dolphins Twitter account tweeted it out like it was some sign of success. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I just watched it. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to watch that. It's a wobbler, too. Oh, my God. <sighs> over oh. and over and over again. Oh, my. How do you do? How how is how does a team put that out? I, I know we're kind of pulling away here for a second, but how does a team pull put that out? Like, I would almost rather the Dolphins to kind of like, you know, show the world, right? Show Tua overthrowing Tyreek Hill. Right. Like, even organize it. Like, almost plan it out, right? Show Tua overthrowing <laughs> him and you'd be like, okay. All right, you know what? I don't care what it was. I don't care what manipulation it was. The end result was you overthrew Tyreek Hill. So that would almost be like a more like, okay, instead of this, where, as you said, I mean, it is bad. Like the camera work when it's coming down to Tyreek. Yeah, he is like reaching behind him at almost a full stop to grab this wobbly duck that looks like it was thrown maybe 40 yards. Tyreek's having that moment that you see in the opening credits of a movie. You're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> like you are not with Patrick Mahomes anymore, dude. It, it is, it, it, you know, if I could be honest here, I love Jalen Waddle as a prospect. Uh, you know, Tyreek Hill has been a chief, but like what a waste of Waddle's career. If he's going to be tied to two of throwing him three yard passes nonstop. So, okay. Dolphins. Good job. Thank you for giving us the, Tua to Hill with a <laughs> rocket emoji, which it just makes it better. It's like that. <laughs> direct opposite of a rocket. I see why they've signed like seven running backs now because they clearly are going to struggle to throw the forward pass. Check down city. Okay. So uh, one thing on the Rams game, and I want to give credit to, I can't remember the name of the podcast, but they're part of cover one. They brought this up and it's a great point. So if the bills happen to play the Rams week one, I think from a logistical standpoint, it's actually the best case scenario for the bills because the game in LA is their only West Coast trip of the season. They knock it out right off the bat, and then they have 10 days to recover before their Monday night game. That is a perfect case scenario. You either want your West Coast trip to be before a bye or early before a, an extended rest. So sign me up for that. The other thing is when you talk about week one being weird, the Rams game, the opener would feel like a huge game because of the spotlight it's under. But if you were going to rank the Bills regular season games 1 to 17 in order of importance, the Rams game would come in dead last. And that is specifically because it's an NFC game and it's the one NFC team that the rest of the Bills division doesn't play. So even when it comes down to tiebreakers like common opponents, the Rams are going to come into it. The Rams game is 100% simply a win or a loss that's going to have no other effect on tiebreakers. I'm not telling you it's not important, but I'm telling you that if you throw it into week one and the Bills go out there and lay an egg, that's probably the one game you're okay laying an egg at, although none of us would enjoy them laying an egg 
under the spotlight of the the season opener. Okay, Lucas, something else to consider. And I know that that schedule leaks account had talked about the Bills playing the Ravens on Thanksgiving in Baltimore on that night slot. Um, But one thing that some of us have been thinking is that the Bills might actually play the Lions on Thanksgiving because it is the Lions' turn to host an AFC team. And the Bills are the most attractive team on their list of teams they're hosting this year. Do you have any thought either way on playing the Lions on Thanksgiving? I will tell you right off the bat, I don't need it. Um, I'm, I really, really enjoyed the bills playing the Cowboys in 2019. It was one of the most enjoyable bills experiences of my life because it took me out of my bills watching comfort zone because it was Thanksgiving. My family was here. I normally watch the game by myself in my cave, like, like a weirdo who's like living and dying with every play, but you just couldn't do it on Thanksgiving. I had my, my mom and my sister and my wife and my brother-in-law here and we we're all watching it and they got into it too. Cause they know how much I'm into the bills and you know, the bills were good at that point, but we didn't know how good they were. And I think a lot of us expected them to go there and get pounded by the Cowboys. And they came out and pounded the Cowboys. And what an amazing day that was. I'll still watch that game anytime it's suggested to me on YouTube to watch it. And then last year, they beat New Orleans on Thanksgiving. Now, if they give the Bills the Detroit game on Thanksgiving, it'll be fine. Like, it'll be neat. It'll be something to look forward to. I just don't need it. It's it's noon to me the way, or it's actually 11 o'clock my time, 1130 maybe. So 1230 Eastern time. Like that's right around the time that ideally on Thanksgiving, like we're starting to travel to go where we're going or if we're hosting this year, we're getting stuff ready. It just would feel more in the way than that four o'clock slot against the Cowboys where you've already eaten and you're just kind of like sitting on the couch. Or to me, that night slot against the Saints last year was perfect because you're home from wherever you've been. You're full. You just sit on the couch and you're ready to watch football. I don't know. The, The Lions slot while it would be kind of cool to be on Thanksgiving, it, I don't need it, and I'm not really rooting for it. How are you feeling? So I love Thanksgiving slot. I will always be a big fan of it. I need it all the time. And in a fun, in a fun little sentimental thing to me, um, with the Dallas one, you know, everything you said, you know, I share, I share it with you. You know, it was really cool. It kind of, it it put us into a different mindset on a Bills game for once, and it it felt it felt almost like bigger than life. Right. But, um, that was my first Thanksgiving with my now fiance. You know, we had just started dating. She was, you know, she's a nurse. Um, and she unfortunately got the short stick with where she was working and had to work every day around Thanksgiving. And only the day of Thanksgiving itself was she off. So she couldn't go home to visit her family. Um, my family was away. So we actually just kind of had like a little, you know, a little Thanksgiving, dinner, although it wasn't little, I cooked a whole bird that I won from bowling. It was like a 16 pounder for two people, a lot of turkey. And I am not a turkey person. Let me also add. So it was a lot of bird (laughs) for, you know, one and a half people we'll call it, but, um, I won it from bowling. So, you know, I had the bird got to cook it, but, um, it it was a special, it was a special moment. You know, I had a big cook. it, It was all day. Basically you had the morning football with the boys came home, you know, my, at the time she was my girlfriend and we were just cooking for like four hours, right. During the whole lions game, essentially. And then, you know, we were cooking kind of early on in that game too. Although I had recently just blown down a bunch of walls so I could actually see my TV from my kitchen. I didn't do it for that purpose. I was just in the process of doing it. So it made it easier, but, um, yeah, it it holds a special place in my heart for that, for personal reasons. You know, it it was nice. We were at the dinner table eating, enjoying our Thanksgiving dinner, enjoying each other's company and all that while also watching that game 
and then watch the rest of it together. I think that's the, one of the first Bills games we watched together. Like we had just gone to a game earlier that year um, together, and then there was that one. It was it's a special one. But anyways, I, I digress. I love the Thanksgiving slot. I love everything about it. I always want my team on the Thanksgiving slot. I will also add and agree with the Detroit one's kind of the worst one because, you know, in my life, me and the guys, we that's like a lot of guys that are out of town now. You know, there's one of my my high school friends. He now lives in the St. Louis area and he comes home. It seems like still every year for Thanksgiving. And then we meet up for football and, and for a turkey bowl. Although it's flagged now, we used to still, I mean, we did tackle up until like 24, 25 years old. And I think I was one of the advocates where I was like, Hey guys, look, <laughs> I got a career now. Like I do not need to be having, like, I think I like threw out my shoulder and had like my ankle rolled up, which I'm pretty sure is still slightly fractured at this point. Yeah. You know, five years later. Not it's worth like, it. yeah, it's not worth it anymore. So we, we adjusted the flags luckily, but yeah, you know, you see all these friends that you don't get to see as much anymore. We still get together or try to, you know, some of them get partied a little too hard the night before with their family or going out or whatever. But, uh, that's that. So then I don't roll in until probably the opening drive of the Detroit game every year. And so if it's the bills game, I would, it'd be really tough for me to sacrifice the Turkey bowl thing, but I feel like it would cut into that and everyone would only be thinking about the bills game. And that would kind of stink. You know, you you don't want to, I want to enjoy that time with my friends because it's a rare time that I get to see a lot of people that I only get to see that time of year. So that would suck personally, but I would love to still see it. I'm, I'm a big, big, big fan of the Sunday night one, even though the first time they ever did that, it was actually Eagles Cardinals. And uh, not only did the Eagles absolutely pound the Cardinals on national television and just embarrass the shit out of them. I was also playing uh, a friend of both of ours, Nino in fantasy who had Donovan McNabb and Brian Westbrook Westbrook just absolutely giving it to me that week in fantasy. And I think I, at that point had Kurt Warner and Fitz and Bolden and they got held to like nothing. So that was a miserable Thanksgiving. And that's when they started the whole Thanksgiving night thing. But I love that game regardless. I think Thanksgiving night NFL has really brought another element to Thanksgiving to my life when it comes to, it almost gives me uh, even more reason to be with the family because I know some of my family wants to watch football with me. I will say a lot of my family does not watch football even anywhere remotely close to the level that I do. But in a way that almost brings us a little closer during games because we're big like game night, like say cards or whatever. So then they're like, all right, Matt, we're going to throw on the game here for you. Sit there so that we can all keep playing games. But then it's like, you know, my cousin-in-law and everyone else, they're just asking me random things about like last year was a tons of questions about the Saints, like tons. I can't even I can't even begin to tell you how many questions I got about the Saints and all that kind of crap because they knew I watched so much football comparative to them. They barely scratched the surface. And I and I love that personally, like I, it just gave me an excuse and interaction with family at another level. And it was, it it was, it was fun. It's different. It's very, very different. It's not like the every Sunday where it's me and a bunch of my, you know, friends from all these years. And we've just been doing the same thing for the past seven years or whatever. Right. You know, it's not the same thing where we all kind of understand football at a similar level. It's like, no, now it's all a bunch of my family. where like, my aunts aren't, don't ever watch it. My uncle's really casual. My cousins, you know, like one of them, they live in uh, Florida and they've kind of become, unfortunately, 
a Bills fan is married to a Dolphins fan. It's a, you know, it is what it is. And um, there's things like that. But, you know, it's it's fun to just hear that kind of conversation around football in a different dynamic with family. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I love everything about it. Because if it wasn't a Bills game, I don't think I would stay for that. I would be like, no, I just want to watch this by myself. And I it, because I don't think the family would want to be together anymore. And, it, and that's kind of what I thought was really cool about it last year. So if this rumor about Bill's Ravens being, oh, the, yeah, you know, sign me up, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where where can I prick my finger, sign it in blood? Let's make it happen. You know, Allen at Lamar in Baltimore on that Thanksgiving night NBC game back to back years doing this. And probably back to back years of pounding that ass. Oh, please give it to me. I would want nothing more in life than that game. I would crave it. Ravens, all black unis, Bills, all white unis under the lights on Thanksgiving with a belly full of Thanksgiving food. That is a scene. And that Ravens stadium, in my opinion, visually is one of the nicest looking stadiums on TV. It is my favorite night game stadium in the NFL. What is it about that stadium? Is it the lights? I think it's a combination of the lights where they have a lot of their like video boards and Mm -hmm. then seating. And then it's like built straight up. Right. So it's kind of like almost it's, it's not a bowl Coliseum. It's almost just like straight up vertical at a point. So you have that first level that kind of goes out. Right. Of course. And then like your second and third or whatever they are levels are just straight up. So visually it just seems so mad. It seems larger than life. It seems so massive, but Mm -hmm. then under the lights, and all that purple and black in the crowd. Oh, man, it looks great on television. So, yeah. yeah. And then the Bills being in all whites, which I'm sure would happen if they go all black. Oh, yes, oh sign me up. And, you know, the thing about the Lions game, and I'm at a different point in my life than you are. Like, I'm a, a parent of two, and my sister and I kind of rotate which ones will host Thanksgiving. So the Lions game to me is perfect background noise while I'm making turkey or getting my kids ready. Like I'll, I'll kind of peek in and be like, Oh, the lions and bears are playing. Like, I don't really care who wins. I'll probably have some DraftKings like stock in the game. It's probably more because the lions are just getting blown out every year. Exactly. Right. Like I don't need that game to be bills and lions. Like throw anybody in there as long as it's two teams I've heard of, which will be the case. And, you know, I can put a little DraftKings interest in it. I do a turkey bowl on DraftKings and and it'll be fine. It's it's perfect background noise. You can kind of just like keep an eye on and oh look, the lion just threw another interception. Like ha ha ha. But if it's a Bills game, you got to go into Bills mode. And it just kind of gets in the way. But Luca, as much as the Lions game is not something I'm necessarily wanting, I can say with full confidence, I want nothing to do with this Christmas Day slate. So a report came out a week ago that the or maybe two weeks ago that the NFL is planning now to play three games on Christmas. They did play Christmas games last year, but they were more in the night. But this year it's going to be two afternoon games and one night game. And man, like I I don't want to speak for anybody else but myself, but Christmas with my family is an event. Like, first of all, I have the two kids who get up and Christmas morning is like, you know, it's Christmas. Like they're excited to see their toys and it's a big family day. Everybody's off work and we're, we have our big breakfast together. And then we all, once we're done with that, we all get ready. We get in the car and we go to my mom's house and she has the whole big family over and we do Christmas presents and we have big, a big brunch. And it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a whole day. It's, it's everybody out there probably has what something they do on Christmas. That's just for us. 
And man, having a Bills game that starts at noon that day would just be so in the way. Like I have my routine for Bills games. I don't miss Bills games. But I think with Christmas, I'd almost have to just be okay with the fact that like this Bills game, I need to just have on a TV while I'm having Christmas with my family. Like I'm not going to ruin one of my kids' Christmases. They'd be like, guys, I can't talk to you right now. The Bills are playing against the Jets. I don't think it would be the Jets, but like, you know, I have a feeling if the Bills are playing, it'll be a big opponent too. Like they're going to put massive games on Christmas. So it could be like a Bills, Patriots, Foxborough game, something that really is huge for the standings. And I don't know. I I, I want nothing to do with that. 100% with you. 1000% with you. Christmas is like, so in context, I kind of already had that experience last year. Colts, Cardinals. Was right. On yes. It was the late game. Luckily, you know, late game. My sister already had to put the niece, you know, to sleep and we were kind of just playing cards again, big, big, big game family. That's, that's what we do. Uh, but you know, we're just playing cards, drinking, shooting the shit. And then I just had to make sure my brother-in-law had the Cardinals game on. (laughs) I was like, I need to be watching this. This is very important. And I missed the entire first half essentially because my niece would not go to bed. She wanted me to run around and chase around her. And unfortunately for the Cardinals, I love my niece a little bit more. So I was doing that and I had the Cardinals game on my phone and naturally you can honestly guess where my attention was. It wasn't on my phone. So, um, yeah, Christmas is just a, is it's not a football day, even though this year it does fall on a Sunday. It's not a football day. I do not want games that I actually really give a shit about. And that bills on top of everything else. That is not what I want on Christmas. I do not want to have to do exactly what you did and what you said is, but like, Hey, we really need to set aside the four o'clock slot because, uh, I need to set aside three and a half hours of my life to watch this, you know, bills Pats game, as you put it, you know, the good news is it is already official that one of those three games is, uh, Broncos Rams. So, at least that's one out of the three checked off yeah, and we get to avoid. But um, yeah, I really, really hope that we are not that situation. If we are Sunday at one on Christmas day that I I could not think of anything worse. I could not, (sighs) that would be just miserable. Like I, I I don't, I don't even want to think about it right now because that just puts me in a bad spot mentally. That is just, Oh. selfishly for my family, the, it's like double Russian roulette. So like my nephew and my brother-in-law who are at our Christmas thing are huge Colts fans. So we need to avoid bills and Colts. You need to avoid bills and Cardinals. You and I, not only being bills fans have extra stake in the game. Like we are now bills content creators. So we are going to have to watch it through that lens also. So like not watching the game wouldn't be an option anyway, but it's certainly not an option now. So I don't want anything to do with the bills on Christmas. I'm, you know, I feel bad for any fan base that has to do it, but like, give me a nice Ravens Bengals matchup or chiefs chargers. You know, I don't need Titans and whoever. It doesn't even matter to me. Christmas is just like, if a game's on TV, I don't even, I I take it back. I don't want Bengals Ravens. I want to watch Bengals Ravens. I'm not going to watch a game on Christmas unless it's the bills. Like last year with the Colts and the Cardinals, I, that game started late. So we were home at that point and everybody was asleep and then I sat on the couch and watched it. And the game, unfortunately for you ended up being kind of a blowout. So I think I may have even fallen asleep in the second half, but I want to say the game before that was green Bay and Cleveland. 
And that was a really intriguing game as far as Cleveland's season being on the line. But it's like, sorry, I'm at my mom's house watching Die Hard. And like Cleveland's an interesting team. Green Bay is an interesting team. I think it was a close game down to the wire. Didn't watch a single down of it. The other thing is I had Nick Chubb in Dynasty in fantasy in the fantasy playoffs like this. It, there's just so much you don't want to do on Christmas and having like fan, very important fantasy matchups going on while you're doing other things. I don't know Want nothing to do with it. One quick point on the Rams game. Mike Shope brought it up earlier on WGR. He is all over it with the schedule stuff. So he has been saying all along that he doesn't get the feeling the bills are going to be in that spot. And his logic today made sense. He said that opening game, you made a point like this too, Luca earlier, that opening game tends to be all about the champion, right? Like it's their moment, it's their ceremony. And what you want to do is you almost want to schedule a team that's credible, but that you really think that the home team's going to win, right? So when you think back about the last few games like this, Dallas worked because Dallas was like a team that the betting odds showed was probably going to be like in playoff contention, but not necessarily a top end of the league team. So Tampa could host them. You get the Cowboys market. Good. The year before that, the Chiefs had come off winning the Super Bowl and they played Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Again, not a great team, but, you know, a solid enough team that had just, you know, in the playoffs, unfortunately, beaten the Bills and then lost at Arrowhead. It was a credible opponent. So from that standpoint, Mike Shope's point was, do they really want to have the Super Bowl betting favorite show up on opening night and potentially ruin the parade? Like this is really all about the Rams. And so that I thought that was a strong point. They started going through some old Thursday night games and and you really could see like it was good, not great teams that were there. So that makes me wonder if it'd be the Bills. But I also the thing about the Cowboys point that makes me nervous is I feel like if that opener is Rams hosting the Cowboys, that stadium's going to be about 75 percent Cowboy fans. Oh, yeah. And and on top of that, too, like I've seen a lot of people and myself included. I'm like, you know, I'd kind of love to see uh, Rams hosting Raiders. Mm-hmm. That's another option that could be there that and that would fit in that criteria where you're credible. They were in the playoffs last year. Right. They made improvements. You got Devontae Adams. You got Chandler Jones. But does anyone really really think that the Raiders should beat the Rams? Probably not. But I mean, it's L.A. I would I would probably say L.A. The Rams are still kind of a, in a weird way. It's it seems to say it's weird to say that in a weird way, the Rams are a developing fran- fan base in L.A. And you have the Raiders, who I honestly, I'm not ultra connected to L.A., but at least, you know, going to school out the West Coast and having some sort of West Coast understanding, there is, I mean, and the Raiders are the Raiders, but there is a massive fan base in L.A. for the Raiders. Massive. Mm -hmm. So to your point about the Cowboys, I would almost guess it would be like over 80% Raiders turnout. Yeah, I agree. In L.A., for the Rams game. Like, and, and there's a lot of storylines that could be written about it and all that stuff. But I do not think the NFL would want to see the dark, the black hole essentially visit the Rams on this, you know, parade for the Rams and their Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff. Like, could you imagine Kroenke seeing that? He'd probably right. like just be beyond pissed off. So it's a tough spot, I think, for the NFL to kind of decide that because realistically, I mean, 
you kind of have to, and I think I heard another, one of my friends, and I'll give him a little bit of a shout here. Oh, and he was like, I kind of want to see the Niners and the Niners kind of make sense, right? They played a good week 18 game last year. Then they were in the NFC championship game and it was a good game again. So on and so forth. I'm like, yeah, but it also goes back into this point. It was a lot of Niners fans there. It wasn't a lot of Rams fans. I think they're going to try to pull a game and it might be a stinker. Like, I think they're going to be worried about the fan turnout more than they are the game and the product out there. I think that's a, a ultimately where their mindset's going to be when it comes to that, you know, season opener with the Rams. I think they're going to make sure that it is a Rams fan base turnout. And I mean, to be, <laughs> to be honest, if I can think of one fan base that's worse than the Rams when it comes to turnout and all that stuff, could be the Cardinals. Um, because you aren't going to see any Cardinal fans or not many of them traveling up to LA for that. And we saw what happened the last time the Rams played the Cardinals. We'll give them a good ass pounding. So that, that's kind of where my head is at. I'm thinking it's going to be that. And I honestly would just, I would have to watch that with like sunglasses on. So it almost <laughs> looks like I'm not, cause that will be an awful game. You got Hollywood Brown now though. Yeah. But you know, Deandre Hopkins is suspended because he true. took PEDs or whatever happened. So yeah. that's where I actually go. The NFL is going to go, Oh, there's no Deandre Hopkins. We can't do that. That's what I'm kind of <clears throat> crossing my fingers for, but uh, I, I don't want bills fans to take what I said as an insult, but I, it, it, to me, it's more about proximity. Like it, it's way easier for Cowboys fans to get to LA and to Lucas point Raiders and 49ers fans to get to LA. I could see where the NFL would roll the dice and say, okay, we know the mafia is going to turn out like the, the mafia always turns out for bills games, but realistically m- maybe our worst case scenario is in closer to like that 35 to 40% where I think it would be heavily tilted in favor of Dallas and San Francisco on the other side of the coin. And, you know, if you really want to dive into it, the Rams blue is basically the same color blue as the bills blue. So you could have Bills fans in there and then just pretend like they're Rams fans. Like you could do the wide stadium shot and be, and it wouldn't stand out as bad as if you have a bunch of red shirts from the 49ers or, you know, black shirts from the Raiders, things like that, things to consider. But yeah, there's a lot to consider. I, I'd love to know the process, the thought process of what goes into it. I could see the Niners being like a default safe option. But to your point, the NFC title game last year was like 65, 70% Niners fans. I don't know what to do, but it feels like they're going to want to showcase LA, showcase the stadium, showcase the team and having a stadium's fan base getting taken over by the Cowboys does not feel like something they'd want to do, but we shall see. All right, Luca, any final thoughts on the schedule games you're looking forward to? Um, Do you have a preference on when the Patriots games happen? I do not because we're going to kick their ass any time of the year. So um, yeah, I am when it comes to divisional games, the bills are six and zero. until proven. Otherwise they're six and zero. I don't think the Patriots got better by any means. I don't think the dolphins really got better. Even with the addition of Tyreek. I mean, they got better. Let me not sound completely pretentious, but they're, they didn't get better to a point where I'm threatened. I mean, yes, I want to see the dolphins play in Buffalo in winter, just like every other bills fan out there. But um, no, Patriots, I do not care. I think the last note I would have is there is the rumor through the same Twitter account, and it just kind of is an interesting conversation, although I know you know we don't have to talk about too much with this matchup. But 
there's the rumor now out there that the Bills at Chiefs will be right smack in the middle of the season, week eight, yeah, on CBS in the 425 slot, which was protected so it couldn't be in prime time. Um, I know that the initial reaction, so I found this out through my uh, friend group chat. Uh, shout out Dylan. You were the my source to this with the Twitter that I also sourced in our notes here. Um, I... There's a negative reaction out of one of my friends or well, it's not negative. He's just, you know, I prefer primetime prime times rather than the 425s, but I'll take 425s over one o'clocks. I share the same sentiments, although I hate Thursday nights and people will learn this real quick. I am very anti Thursday night other than Thanksgiving and season opener and that those two special occasions, I am extremely anti-Thursday night. I think it is the worst money grab in sports potentially. It is horrible. It's horrible for the product. It's horrible for football. I just, I hate it. I hate everything about it. But I actually love Bill's Chiefs being CBS primetime, we'll call it 425. I love that idea. I don't, when it came to the Bill's Chiefs game on Sunday night, Obviously, there was the weather delay that kind of killed it or made it fun for some people, I guess, because the whole peanut butter jelly sandwich story and all that fun jazz. Right. Um, you know, I, I know there's people that liked it, but something about the 425, you know, Nance and Romo game, like for that matchup and for a big AFC matchup, I just there's something about it that just it elevates it. It clearly elevates that matchup. And what I also love about it is it's not the Sunday night game. So I can get my rest. Um, yeah. but other than that selfish reason, um, I love the four twenty five slot. I actually kind of, I love Sunday night football the most. That is my favorite primetime slot when it comes to just a prime football game. Other than the fact that I got to stay up and watch it. I love it. But the four twenty five slot, I honestly like more than Monday night. I, I'm just not the off night kind of person. I like structure. I'm a very structured person. And Sundays are football days, right? Saturdays are college football. Sundays are NFL football. That is what they are. I don't like my teams having to play games on different days because I think, you know, as an athlete, never at that level, not even close, couldn't even sniff that. But just as an athlete, you know, the one thing I noticed when whenever I would play well or do things well is it was structured, you know, and it was it, there was a consistency to it. And I feel like the Thursday night and the Monday night just kind of throws wrenches in that. And I think that that can add up and that can do things to a team or just to a certain people that may kind of they might not be 100 percent come the game before game after or that game itself. So Bill's Chiefs being a Sunday 425 kickoff. Yeah, because essentially that's the biggest game of the regular season. That's kind of the, you know, the one that sets the tone of especially being week eight. I yeah. love it being week eight. Oh, yeah. Good right spot. in the middle of the season. You win that game. Now you're you're looking at the back half of the season and it's like, OK, we have the tiebreaker on the Chiefs. Let's go make a run. Like, I love that idea. So obviously it's just a rumor. You know, we don't have to discuss it too much because it's not anything confirmed or whatnot, but just kind of wanted to bring it up because I did see that, you know, it was rumored out there and just kind of kicked the kick the tires on that idea. And, and just, you know, I'll even throw it back to you what you feel about that real quick. Bill Chiefs, week eight, 425 slot protected. So we get Nance and Romo. You know how I said I wasn't looking forward to Bill's Chiefs like as much as I think everybody else is. <laughs> I, I think maybe it's because it's just like it's been the same scene 
to the last three matchups too. It's been a night game at Arrowhead for the AFC championship game, for the division round game. And then obviously the Sunday night game last year. And I'm all for it because it's, it's a change of scenery. It's not a game under the lights. You have the natural light and this probably sounds foolish, but just give me something different. And we talked about how Baltimore is maybe one of the nicest stadiums under the lights. I think Arrowhead looks much better with natural light. I think when they go under the lights, it's just like it's you just feel engulfed by red. And I don't need yeah. that much red in my life. I like sunlight. And that really works for me when you kind of, you know, you think about like Arrowhead people out there tailgating and, you know, doing their grilling in the in the early afternoon versus at night. I don't know. The whole scene makes a lot more sense for me. It's a lot like Bill's Bucks last year where that 425 game that you went to in Tampa where we thought that was like the biggest game on the schedule outside of Kansas city. And then they put in that four twenty five slot that would work for me. I love the week eight timing of it too. Like you said, it's late enough in the season where we're, where there's no more excuses about early season rust. And we also know what these teams are, but it's, it's also late enough in the season where whoever wins is going to have a significant advantage because, you know, last year the bills beat the chiefs in arrowhead. And I don't know about you, but I had kind of thought at that point, man, okay, the Chiefs have already lost a couple games. They went on the next week and lost to Tennessee. I'm like, you know, we passed ten- we passed Kansas City. Maybe not like for the playoffs, but for playoff seating. I was like, no matter what happens down the stretch, we're not playing at Arrowhead this year. But it was week five. So, you know, a lot happened in the season. They ended up catching us and passing us, and then we had to play at Arrowhead. It feels like week eight, while still a lot could happen, that the winner of that game would be much better set up to make a run and have that that game be in their building. I will say everything I said about Bill's Chiefs not looking forward to it. The game is massive. We have to get the Chiefs in our building in January. Whether that means we beat them in the regular season or not, whatever happens this year, the playoff game against the Chiefs needs to be in Buffalo. That has to happen. We can't go to Arrowhead again. It's a hard place to play. I think the Bills can win there. They should have won there twice last year, but I want nothing to do with Arrowhead in the playoffs. Um, so we've kind of hit on it. Um, you know, you like four four o'clock. So when you're looking at the schedule, I think we are probably going to be aligned that we think the Bills are going to have their fair share of primetime games. Do you have a preference on when the Bills play? Do you do you like that comfortable 1 p.m. slot? Do you have a certain number of 1 p.m. games you like? I like a healthy amount of 1 p.m. games. It just kind of lines up with like my own little routine. Um, I don't necessarily mind if the Bills play at 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. Um, kickoff. And then obviously the 425 is like the game of the week for the day games. Uh, but um, I, I like that one o'clock game time slot it just kind of works with everything I do in the morning, getting ready for the game. And then kind of like after the bills play, I can kind of just chill and watch the other games, uh, stress-free if the bills won, where is your favorite bills time slot and how many primetime games are you wanting? And are you predicting? So first and foremost, to your last point, I am going to go ahead and predict six, my lucky number, Ooh. six primetime games in total. I do believe the Bills not only are a draw when it comes to the Bills fans, and, and obviously we know with Buffalo sports in general, we are a massive national television market somehow. I like you watch, you look at the Stanley Cup playoff statistics, we are always top five in Stanley Cup viewership. Sabres haven't been to the playoffs in over a decade, and somehow we are always top five in viewership. We love sports, we are a sports town. That's what we do. So, 
they look at that. But not only with that, the Bills are a big draw right now with the general fan base of the NFL. I mean, they are a massive draw for it. It's clearly shown. I mean, Vegas loves the Bills, and there's a reason for that. They want to bet the Bills because they love watching the Bills. You want to watch the Bills succeed. So Vegas, which they've been a big fan of the Bills for a long time, I'll be honest. I I pay attention to the lines a lot. You'll see lines open up at, say, let's four and a half. Come Sunday, I've more than not, I feel like I see the line move a full point. I think the Kansas City game last year, it went from... Kansas City favorites to Kansas. I mean, the line was like one and a half opening or maybe two. I know it was really, really small, but I think it went from Kansas City one and a half favorites to Kansas City one and a half dogs at home. And that was from just the amount of bets on the bills. I mean, that's what it was from. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead with six primetime and then it's kind of reverse of how uh, I'm going to pull Arizona State into this, give another ASU plug. It's kind of reverse of how ASU works. Now, they have to do it. They have to do this, but they start out the year with all these late night games. They have to do it because you just literally cannot play football in the daytime, that time of year, early in the season. And then eventually, later in the year, it's daytime games a lot of time. Unless they get you know primetime slots late in the year, you know flexed into those. It's always night, uh, daytime, and I love that. I love kind of how you know it's early in the year because it's it's a it's an eight eight thirty nine thirty local kickoff. It's nighttime. It's under the lights. You know, on the East Coast, unfortunately for me, it finishes at like two a.m. and I'm going to bed, and I'm like, oh crap, I got to watch football the next day. You know, life's hard. Um, but with the Bills, I love early year daytime games. I love a healthy amount of one o'clock games early in the year. And I say that because Buffalo and that, you know, that place is a beautiful, it looks great on TV in the daytime early in the season. I think, you know, that stadium, that fan base, everything like that on TV and just it, it seems enjoyable. It seems like a party. It seems like a good time when it comes to the later season part and it's one o'clock. I mean, you can get the crazy weather. That's when it starts, you know, creeping in and stuff. And it really can get weird. Uh, case in point, look at the Atlanta game. I think it was the Atlanta game. Like, just look at that. It looked miserable. Like, we still won the game, things like that. But on TV, that did not look like a fun game to be at. Didn't look like a fun game to play. No, not at all. You look at the Patriots game, we'll call it, I guess, even though that's a Monday night, that's a primetime game under the lights, you know, when it comes to that. So let's say four, four twenty five, because. I mean, come later in the season, 425 essentially becomes a night game. I mean, the sun goes down within the hour of kickoff. But um, I think Buffalo looks better when the snow is going and stuff under the lights. I think winter games look better. I don't like the look of daytime winter games. I kind of think, I mean, obviously it's another extreme, but like think of the Colts game, the infamous shady, you know, running through the snow, snow flying in the air, all that fun jazz. It's almost like awkward. Because you know it's daytime, but it's so snowy that they still had to turn on the lights and it just creates this weird lighting dynamic. And just for viewership purposes, it's just a weird scene. And I don't like that. Obviously, again, as I said, that's an extreme. But even when it's just a good, healthy amount of snow, I mean, I'm not a huge daytime snow football person, but with the snow and wind and things like that at night and the light starts hitting the flakes in the air and stuff like that, I think it looks great. It looks like a fun time. It looks like you know, good winter football but early in the season, good, healthy amount of one o'clock games. Give me the daytime. Give me that perfect football fall weather, 
you know, in, in Orchard Park, New York. It, it just looks like I want to be there if it wasn't for the fact that I had this nice comfy couch with four screens to watch all my NFL action. Um, but, you know, that's what I want to watch. So that's kind of when I steer for the one o'clock. Later in the year, I want the prime times. I want to dominate those slots because one, that's when the games matter. And two, if we're at home, that's when it looks better to be here. So, and I, I feel like there's almost a, it's easier later in the year to hype yourself up for primetime games early in the year. I mean, you're focused on just getting yourself going, getting, getting the offense going, especially like early, early on, like that week two game against Tennessee, there is a concern in me that they're not going to be a hundred percent comfortable with the offense. Like say like a James cook, like he's a rookie and we're probably going to, you know, need him to make, you know, five, 10, 15, you know, snaps count. We'll call it because obviously he's not getting the ball every one of those times potentially, but we need him to count and he might not be a hundred percent comfortable with the offense at that point. But later in the year, at that point, he should be gears rolling, hopefully, as long as he didn't hit the wall. And, um, you know, he can just hype himself up for a nice nighttime game here in Buffalo or, you know, on the road and stuff like that, wherever it is, you know, one o'clock games, especially I don't like uh, I don't like four o'clock games on the West Coast, even though I know they're one o'clock games on the East Coast, you know, comparable. I hate those. I think those are the worst. Like if I'm on the West Coast, I want to be primetime. I want to be nighttime. I, I want. I want them to be as comfortable as possible, but um, I'm going on a rant here. I've got, I got to stop this. You know, I know you asked a simple question here early season. I love a healthy slate of one clocks late season. Give me all the prime times you can in my prediction. Six, six is a strong number. Uh, there's another rumor out. I don't know how reputable this tweet is, but there's a rumor that the bills week one opponent is going to be the Miami dolphins in Buffalo. So that rumor also said that the Dolphins are going to be one of the Christmas games and the Dolphins would play the Lions on Thanksgiving. So who knows? Whoa. Who knows what to believe? Dolphins, Lions. That'd be an awkward time to lose. <laughs> so uh, to me, I don't love that Dolphins opener. If that's the case, it, it would re- it would feel a lot like Pittsburgh last year. We're a team that's good enough to beat you if you if you have an off game in a week where a lot of teams have off games. And you have a new coach in Miami that is going to be really hard to game plan for. I, I, I'm not saying the Bills should be afraid of the Dolphins, particularly in Buffalo, but I'd, I'd rather play the Dolphins later in the year when we got some film on them, when we when we know what they're going to be about offensively and defensively, and um, when it's not within the uh, umbrella of week one where anything can happen. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll know more as the uh, week goes on. There still is the uh, LA Times, not necessarily report, but educated guess that it's going to be the Bills playing the Rams on Thursday Night Football. Just a couple other things I wanted to point out. Um, if you're looking for advantages of when to play certain teams, you could look at the Cleveland Browns where if you play them early in the year, if Deshaun Watson does get suspended, which hasn't been announced yet, you, you'd probably rather play the Browns early if you're looking for path of least resistance. Um, outside of that, there's not a whole lot that stands out to me. Um, you know, Maybe if you want to wrap your... I mean, we already know when the Titans game is, but maybe you could see a scenario where the Titans you know, have a bad year and they turn it over to Malik Willis in November or December. We're obviously not going to have that happen. It'll be Tannehill barring injury. Um, yeah, outside of that, I like the schedule, good teams, you know, depending on when Pittsburgh plays here, it'll be interesting to see if it's Mitch Trubisky or, uh, Kenny Pickett 
you know, we'll have to see what happens there. But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm more with you than I thought I would be. I don't really care when the games are. I feel like the Bills are going to be favored in almost all of these games anyway. And to me, it's all about staying healthy, winning enough games to make the playoffs, hopefully get that one seed, and for sure host the Chiefs in Buffalo. Outside of that, the rest of it is just a process to get to the ultimate goal, which is the playoffs, and be playing your best football when you get there, and hopefully not give up a scoring drive with 13 seconds to go when you are playing your best football. But which sadness, sadness, Luca, we have a game to play. Hell yeah. And we talked a lot about opening games. We have a big three game to play. And tonight we're going to be drafting Bill's openers, our favorite Bill's openers. Now we have not talked offline. It is your week to ask the trivia question, but since you've been traveling, I have to ask you, do you have a trivia question prepared? This is where my uh, boredom time has stepped in because there are a list of just generic questions I have typed up for myself. All right. So I'm just going to pull from one of these. It might not be the most fun, you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I'm just going to I type this up. So if I butchered up the typing and all that kind of stuff, I do apologize. It might sound choppy, but uh, we're going to go into the 2017 season. You remember the 2017 season, Josh? I do. It was good season for the Bills, if I remember it correctly. Season. But uh, so in the 2017 season, mm-hmm. only two of the top five leading receivers on the team were actually wide receivers. And I'll even give it to you right now. At three, it was Deontay Thompson with 430 yards. And the fifth was Zay Jones with 316. Can you name at least two of the remaining three to wrap up that top five? In 2017, the remaining two. So one has to be Charles Clay. That is one of them. And I, there are three here because I did top five and there are mm-hmm. only two receivers. So you named one and I'll just, you can name another. I'm a little surprised Jordan Matthews wasn't in there, but man, they just really did not use him at all. And I guess he, I think he, maybe he got hurt and Kelvin Benjamin wasn't here long enough. Okay. So it stands to reason to me that it would be LaShawn McCoy just on the volume that he was in the offense. LaShawn is there. He was number two. By the way, Charles Clay was number one with 558. LaShawn was number two with 448. So how many? And now I got to get the fifth one. Is that right? No, I said just can you name two of the three? That's okay. I don't don't mind trying to guess. You know what? Just for. Yeah, I was going to say just for fun. Can you name the last man standing? And was he fifth on the list behind Zay Jones? He was fourth. No, Zay Jones was fifth. So Deontay Thompson. Okay. I. I'm going to go on a limb here and say Logan Thomas. Ooh, that's a good guess. Your mind was in the right place. Was it Webb? Nope. nope. It, Nick O'Leary Nick was O'Leary. fourth with 322 yards. Okay. <laughs> wow. That, that was the one I, I assumed. Like, it, like, there's a reason. I knew there was a reason I typed this as, can you name at least two of the remaining three? Because <laughs> like Nick O'Leary, you would have to really pull some mental strings there. Was that yardage um, or catches? Yardage. Okay. This was yardage. So I'm betting O'Leary was there because he caught a touchdown past week 17 against Miami where he was just wide open in the end zone. And yep. I think it was like 30 or 40 yards. I yeah, can't probably. imagine he finished with more than like 200 yards. I mean, he had more than Zay Jones. So that just sets it all. Boom. So, um, <laughs> um, well, you did technically win it. So you get choice. Do you want to go first or do you want second too? You know, there's one that I like more than the others, but I'm comfortable going second because I, I just like so many options here. So I'll let you go first. You dirty dog. 
Well, I'm not going to take the obvious one. I'm going to make you take the obvious oh. one. <laughs> Twist my arm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to actually choose one that uh, it, it, if it wasn't for that obvious one, you know, this is, this would be it. And um, I'm going to 2015 week one against the Colts when we won 27, 14. And the reason I go with it is it, it was kind of at that. I mean, obviously we're at that point with the drought where it's just laughable, right? It is, it, it almost feels borderline pathetic to be a bills fan. It, it, like, I don't want to put it that way. I don't want to be cruel about it, but it, it, it kind of felt that way. Like we're, you were a butt end of every joke. I mean, you have the four Super Bowl losses and now you have this unbelievable drought following the music city miracle. So now we're in 2015 and you have the class clown of Rex Ryan coming into town and things like that. And it just feels different. I will say me personally, I was kind of excited. I was, I was just excited for something completely different, right? This isn't the same old thing. This isn't Dick Duran. This isn't Mike Malarkey. This is something fresh, different. We're trying something else, whatever it may be, however it may work. And then we brought Tyrod Taylor into the roster and it's like, well, we haven't had a quarterback on the roster like this. Like you can say what you want when it comes to mobile quarterbacks and like EJ maybe could fit in that criteria somewhat. No, 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 no. We did not have a quarterback like Tyrod Taylor going into a season ever period. End of story. And it was, I was, I remember that preseason just praying he would get the starting job. I was like, Oh my God, please do not, do not give me the same bull crap. Like give me Tyrod Taylor because Tyrod Taylor's fun. I mean, Madden wise, obviously we all know about Tyrod and Madden. It's like, let's just see what he's got. Cause it's just something fresh, new, different anyways. So we go into this season and we, we have to play the Colts week one Colts at this point, Andrew Luck, they're a wagon. They're, they're just, they're always in the contention pool. They're always really, really good. And it, it, we have a good roster. We have a different roster. You know, we, we have Sammy Watkins, we have Robert Woods, we have Percy Harvin. I know who's close to your heart. We, you know, we, <laughs> we have Charles Clay. I think that was the year we brought him in, which is just something different as a, you know, in the Bills, as a Bills fan, you knew Charles Clay. I mean, he had been in Miami and you knew everything about him. And it was just something different at tight end. He was definitely something that we weren't used to as well. And it was like, okay, what are we going to do here? Because the defense was decent enough. And now you have Rex Ryan, you assume the defense is going to go great. It's going to be a different scheme, but it's going to go great. So what is going to happen? Well, I mean, if you would have told me at halftime, we would have been up 17, nothing, say the week prior, if you'd have told that me that you're going to be up 17, nothing with Tyrod Taylor as your quarterback. And it's going to kind of be, I, I want to say the, was the, the 51 yard touchdown to Percy Harvin. That was in the first half. Correct. Correct. I'm first one. half. Yeah. First half. Like that was the highlight. And I, I still picture that play. I just can never remember exactly when it happened. I thought it was first half. But I can picture that catch everything about it right up the right side, drops it in a basket, just an absolute raindrop and 51 yards. And um, and you're at halftime. If you told me that a week prior to that, I would have thought you were absolutely nuts. There is no chance we are shutting out the Andrew Luck Colts week one with a brand new team. Well, we did. And then we obviously just continued on our way to, even though the final score was 27, 14, there was never once that I was like this, you know, that thought that I know every Bills fan has where it's like, oh, don't let them back in the game. We're going to lose it. Don't let that. I, I explicitly remember never having that thought. We won that game from start to finish. And by the time the game was over, I was like, holy shit, 
Rex Ryan is actually going to do this. He's actually going to turn around this organization and this actually could be a team to make some noise. And Tyrod could finally be that quarterback, which it turned out in an unconventional way. He was be that quarterback to get us out of at least this drought. I didn't think Tyrod was the greatest thing ever. I didn't think he was, you know, an elite quarterback, but he was good. I mean, he was solid. He was different. He was fun. He made the right plays. He used his legs. It was fun. It was a great team. And that game, you want to talk about having the absolute highest of hopes after having the biggest of question marks going into it. That game was just it, it it holds a special place in my heart because it was finally like it almost regained that childhood love I had of the Bills. And I was like, OK, I can enjoy this team again because all those years prior, it was just depressing. It was horrible. And this was finally something different that really made you hope and feel like maybe we're turning the corner and we can actually think about potentially making the playoffs. So that is why I have made that 2015 week one dominant win, even though the score doesn't show it that way, dominant win over the Colts, 27-14, my first overall pick. That's such a good pick because you hit on the Rex Ryan point. Rex Ryan was the celebrity coach that the Bills were never able to land the Bills were the team that hired Chan Gailey when they were like, oh, we tried to get Mike Shanahan, but we just couldn't land him. Or they would hire Dick Duran. Or when Chip Kelly, who was the big head coach in college coming into the NFL, was coming out, it was like they get Doug Marone from Syracuse. And it's like, did you just drive up the road to get him? So when they landed Rex Ryan, it felt like such a big deal. And the hype was real. And the Bills were getting segments on ESPN with Rex Ryan eating chicken wings with Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas. And then the added dimension of the Tyrod Taylor point, we had just come off the very disappointing realization that EJ Manuel, who was drafted just two seasons prior, was not going to be that guy. And then when Rex Ryan got here and made Greg Roman his offensive coordinator, the first thing they did was trade for Matt Castle. I mean, it was like a pick swap, sixth round pick. And it just seemed like all along that Matt Castle was the guy that Greg Roman wanted even though all the reports you're hearing from training camp and then the preseason games, Tyrod Taylor was the guy. And look, Tyrod Taylor was never great, but he was a playmaker and he was such a breath of fresh air after what we had seen at the Bills quarterback position, a guy who wasn't afraid to make plays, who on third and 10, it didn't feel like, well, we're going to be punting on the next down. You actually had a chance. And I love Tyrod and he's he's going to go down as one of my favorite players in Bills history just because of what it meant to me to have him come into our lives and give us at least credibility at that position. Although I'm thrilled now with what we have at quarterback. That's a great pick. Luke, you know where I'm going. I have to go to it. 2003 opening game against the new England Patriots, the Buffalo bills throttle the Patriots 31 to nothing. I believe I also covered this game in a big three episode when we did our favorite bills games. This one just, it it checks all the boxes. So we'll go back through it kind of quickly because I've covered it before on the show. But 2002, the Bills trade for Drew Bledsoe after the Patriots have won their Super Bowl and the Bills trade a first round pick for Drew Bledsoe. They're finally washing their hands of Rob Johnson and that mess. And it felt like the Bills had finally landed their franchise quarterback with the thought in the back of your head of, wait a minute, why did Belichick send him to a team in his division? But we're not going to worry about that. In 2002, Bledsoe broke all kinds of Bills record, was a Pro Bowl quarterback, threw for 4,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, lit it up, and the Bills went 8-8, and but they didn't have any kind of a defense. 
But if you look at that 2002 season, it all derailed when they were five and three. They hosted the Patriots here in Buffalo. They had a game advantage in the standings. And it was like, man, Bledsoe is going to drive a stake in his former team's heart and really show them they shouldn't have given up on him. And then the Patriots came here and won 38 to seven. And the game was a laugher and Bledsoe looked absolutely lost. And then a few weeks later, the Bills played them in Foxborough. And I don't have the schedule in front of me. I want to say the Bills lost 30 to 20. They ended up keeping it within 10 points, but it was like they were down by about 20 the entire game and had a couple of garbage time touchdowns. Just an absolutely ridiculous one-handed catch by Eric Moulds when the game was well decided. But Bledsoe had four interceptions in that game. And then it just really had felt like Belichick had his number and the rest of the season kind of derailed there offensively, even save for one big performance against Miami in the snow. It seemed like the Bills offense had really started to slow down and Belichick had actually given the rest of the league the recipe to catch up with Bledsoe. So going into 2003, the entire off offseason was like, are we ever going to be able to beat the Patriots? It was already feeling that way because they just dominated us in 2002 that badly. And you already hated them because it was the whole Bledsoe versus New England dynamic. It wasn't like Brady and Belichick were beating us over the head yet. That was still very fresh, but it was Bel Bledsoe versus his old team. That's why we got emotional about it. So the schedule comes out in early April at that time. And it's like, oh, the Bills are going to play the Patriots on opening day. That's awesome. In Buffalo, and that offseason, the Bills had recruited Takeo Spikes, who fans actually recruited week 17 of the year before, one of the top free agent linebackers. He signed there. Um, they, they obviously had London Fletcher. They signed Sam Adams as a free agent. They And right before the season started, they signed Lawyer Malloy days before the game started, who was cut by New England a week before the season started. It was the biggest story in the NFL. He was their team captain. He was considered one of the best players on their team. And they cut him for a contract reason, and he ends up signing with Buffalo. So he has two days of practice and shows up and is a starter for the Bills against New England. And the Bills come out, boom, first drive right down the field on the vaunted Belichick defense. Boom, 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 boom. Touchdown, Travis Henry, touchdown run. Patriots come out. They go three and out. Takeo Spikes obliterates Kevin Falk. I'm not looking at a game log. I remember this in my head. It's how much I, I love this game. Bills come out on their third drive. Boom, Bledsoe touchdown to Dave Moore. The Bills look unstoppable. The Patriots can't do anything on offense. They can barely muster a first down. And then the Patriots end up getting down 21 to nothing because Tom Brady throws an interception to Sam Adams for a touchdown. Takeo Spikes had an interception that game. All the players that the Bills went out and got that offseason made a huge play. Sam Adams had the interception for a touchdown that ended up making the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, Lori Malloy had a tip to intercept or had a sack and then tipped a ball that went to Nate Clements for an interception in the end zone. 31 to nothing. The bills win. We all know the season ended with the bills losing 31 to nothing in new England. And the game pretty much became like a hilarious footnote in the, in a championship season for the Patriots. But as a bills fan on that day, and that is how I rate these games, how I felt that day. I was so happy because even though they went out and signed to spikes, and signed Sam Adams and got Laura Malloy. There was the question in my head, are they still ready to beat New England? And on that day they were, they throttled him. And it was just, it was just such a beautiful moment as a Bills fan. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost like it, it's shout out to our week one podcast, episode one. That's when we uh, discussed the same game. Cause that's when we did our favorite drought era games as a whole, just to kind of kick it off and make people understand this game. 
Um, it was almost like you read your same notes. I was going to just do, if I picked that one, I was just going to do literally mic drop, listen to episode one. <laughs> that would have been it. No yeah. summary, nothing. But because uh, <laughs> I can't do it as much justice as you. That's kind of what came into my head. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the Colts win because I did like that one. It kind of sits in a different world as me. The, you know, the 31 nothing, of course, is an absolute classic. It, it deserves to be the first overall pick. I just had to give you, you gave me my Bernard Raymond lay, layup. I have given you back the 31 nothing. Excellent pick. Again, well described on it. Perfect. I'm excited to hear your second one. I have a theory on 31 to nothing though, and I want to run it past you before I get my second one. So you know how anytime you bring up 31 nothing, there's a Patriots fan that just can't wait to tell you like, oh, well, we beat you 31 to nothing and then ended up winning the Super Bowl. I I feel like, I don't know if I've shared this with you, I feel like the Bills got their revenge on 31 to nothing this year in the Monday night win game where they lost because of the weather. And it's almost like if you flip the coin where the Bills win 31 to nothing and then that day as a Bills fan, it's just the coolest moment in the world. Then the season ends up being kind of nothing, a big disappointment. And then eventually the Patriots get a huge revenge later in the year and then go on to have playoff success. 31 to nothing. I look at that kind of like the Monday night game. Yeah, the Patriots came here. They won in the wind. It was a big deal. It was like, oh my God, the Patriots have passed the Bills again. And then the Bills go to Foxborough with the division on the line and don't punt once. And then the Patriots come here in the playoffs and the Bills beat them 47 to 17. And all of a sudden that Monday night game is more like a hilarious footnote than any kind of indicator on how good the teams are. In my mind, that kind of that kind of is our version of the 31 to nothing. What do you think about that? That's That's good. I, I would I would almost I would almost agree with you if we just, you know, learned how to hold hold an offense for 13 <sighs> seconds and went on our way to win a Super Bowl. Then it would have been the same thing. Um <laughs> no, that's I didn't actually think about that until you just brought that up there. Yeah. No, I did I did not think about that, but that's uh that's a pretty good one. That's yeah, it's it's kind of the same exact thing. It's the same dynamic where, you know, in the national media even after this week one one was like, Oh, are the Bills you know, are we, are we legit? Is this a thing? Like, is, Mm -hmm. does this need to mean something? And then obviously as you brought up and as we all know, turned out to mean absolutely nothing really. But, um, if you want to entertain yourself and it's easy to do now, like to me, I can tell you for a fact, I could go back right now and watch the Monday night wind game against new England and not feel any kind of pain because I know what's coming. I know they're going to go to Foxborough and pound them and they're going to go to, well, not necessarily pound them, but win a shootout against them. And then they're going to just pound them in the playoffs. Go to YouTube and watch and look up first take Bill's Patriots wind game and just see all the overreaction for look at Bill Belichick. He's finally passed the bills. It's just funny. Nick Wright is, is saying like, oh man, the bills had one year and now Bill Belichick's king again. As Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friends. All right. My second <laughs> one. I'm excited to talk about this one because This was another one where I was just super, super excited on opening day. Um, There's been a few, but this one in particular, I went into this game with so little expectations. I did not expect the Bills to win. I expected the Bills to get blown out. And I'm not even sure why, because I just went back and checked the record of the team we were playing the year before, and they were only eight and eight. I'm thinking it's because they were considered a team on the rise with a head coach that was thought of as like an offensive genius at the time. I'm going to go back to the 2014 season. The Bills open up on the road against the Chicago Bears. 
the Bears head coach is Mark Tressman, who at the time was considered like this genius of a coach. And the Bears had weapons all over the place. They had Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, Martellus Bennett. And if you look at the context of this season, leading into that game, leading into that season, it was EJ Manuel's second season as quarterback. Uh, Ralph Wilson had unfortunately passed away that offseason. And so the Bills were kind of in flux ownership wise. And you had the Russ Brandon, who had no boss at the time because we had no owner at the draft, sign off on trading future assets to get Sammy Watkins because, hey, I don't have to answer anybody. Let's go into save my job mode and get the best receiver in the draft, in our opinion, cost be damned. So they did that to get Sammy Watkins. And the about a week before the season starts, we're just having like a regular old Bills training camp, nothing, nothing major happening. A story breaks, and I cannot remember who broke it. Maybe it was Tim Graham, but I'm not positive about how there's some there's a rift between Doug Marone and then Doug Whaley and Russ Brandon, and how Doug Marone, uh, among his friendship groups, was referring to himself as Saint Doug because if he manages to ever win in Buffalo, they're going to call him a saint because this organization is so set up to fail. And that was like the ultimate Doug Marone heel turn who spent his entire first year as Bill's head coach, just pretending to be a nice guy. Who's like, I'm all about Western New York. I'm a Buffalo guy. This is my kind of town. And then the second year he turned into a big grouch. And after that report came out, I really think it just kind of shattered his whole personality and the true cranky Doug Marone came out. That's neither here nor there going into that opening game. It was like, man, the bills are already having so much drama going around right now. And you know, the, we had this quarterback in EJ Manuel who people think probably shouldn't have been a first round pick. His rookie year was kind of hit or miss. Um, there were some good moments, but you just weren't really sure where that was going. You needed to definitely see more. And you go into this game against the bears. And I remember driving home from the gym that day and I'm listening to WGR uh, before the game starts and they're going over the inactives and Stefan Gilmore is a surprise inactive. Like he tweaked his back in warmups or something. I don't remember what it was. And it's like, Oh my God, we're going against a team that has Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, and Martellus Bennett and our best cornerbacks down. So now Corey Graham, who we picked up in free agency, is now going to be our, be our number one corner. And he wasn't like a priority free agent. Anyway, game starts and the Bears go right down and score right off the bat. Martellus Bennett touchdown. It's like, here we go. But the funniest thing happened when the Bills had the ball, Luca. EJ Manuel looked very competent. He was making good reads, making good throws. He was running for a touchdown, hit CJ Spiller for a pass in the flat for a touchdown. And there was a Kyle Williams interception along the way. Corey Graham had two interceptions and it came down to it where the Bills and the Bears went to overtime and the Bears had the ball first. And you're thinking, okay, then this is back, I believe, when it's just first to score wins even just, just a field goal and the bears win the toss and you're like, you know what? Hey, the bills fought a good fight. They, they were like seven point underdogs here. They, they're probably not going to win, but Hey, it was a good fight. I, I, you know, I want them to win obviously, but the bears came back in the second half and the bills were actually winning to halftime up 17 to seven and the bears came back in the second half. It's just not meant to be. They're going to go down and get their field goal. And then I think on the second play of overtime, Cutler throws a ball right into the chest of Leotis McKelvin and if he catches it, he has the easiest pick six in the history of pick sixes, but he drops it. And you're thinking, oh my God, that was our chance. And then somehow, some way on third down, the Bills stopped them and forced the Bears to punt. And then it happened, Luca. 
the greatest stiff arm in the history of the Buffalo Bills, where a Bills player was delivering the stiff arm. No offense, Josh Norman. Um, Fred Jackson gets the ball, and Eric Wood absolutely cleans the clock of a defender trying to blow up the gap. It may have been Lance Briggs, one of the best blocks you ever see. And Fred Jackson breaks through the line, and there's only one defender on him, and he tries to tackle Fred Jackson, and Fred Jackson just shoves him into the ground, rock bottom style WWE. And Fred Jackson almost makes it to the end zone, but goes out of bounds the one yard line. My one regret is I really wish Doug Marone would have just let the Bills run offense there and let Fred Jackson get a touchdown from the one yard line, but he made the smart call. He let the Bills, Dan Carpenter, kick the field goal. The Bills win in overtime. Completely surprised me. I thought this Bills season was in shambles with the way the St. Doug stuff happened. I expected the regression of EJ Manuel. He looked great that game. If it was just one game, fine. And the Bills just shocked me. The Bills winning games against what were considered good teams on the road just didn't happen a lot in that era. That game checked so many boxes for a surprise to me, and that's why that day I was feeling sky high as a Bills fan. Yeah. Watching Fred Jackson, I believe, run up the left sideline, that stiff arm, the overtime run, you know, it's uh, it's enough, It's kind of similar to that, you know, Tyrod Taylor to the Percy Harvin touchdown catch that I said. Like, you, you just remember that play, and you know – you know a game is impactful and means something to you when you can still remember that play years and years and years later. And you know other fans do too. Like, I'll give a quick shout out again to Dylan. During our early recording of this podcast, he replied to your tweet that you sent out earlier. <laughs> I just you know, saw that, yeah. Of the gif of that run. And, and that that just shows you. Like, that's why that pick makes total sense. And I'm actually bummed that you chose that over what I will eventually make my next pick. Um, but yeah, that, that was very, very unexpected that, as you said, it was just like, you're like, I expected absolutely nothing. I expected just an ass pounding. We're going to Chicago. We're going to get beat. It's just going to be embarrassing. And then the opening drive, as you mentioned, they go right down and score and you're just like, all right. I mean, it's just another year. I remember at that point, just like watching the other games on the, my other TVs. Like I, I just was not even caring. And then, as you said, like EJ Manuel stringing together some drives, just doing the right thing, so on, so forth. And you're like, holy shit, this team is competent. And that it's sad that a team being competent and just being able to be efficient with the ball was surprising. But that's where we were with that team. And it makes total sense. And that's why that win is a great pick for a week one there. And uh, yeah, I like what you did. All right. So as I mentioned, uh, this is the game I thought you would take here. Uh, but since it's still on the board, I'm going to have to make it my own. And it's going back all the way to 2011 when the Bills were in Kansas City. And I'm just going to start it with that. And I'm not even going to say the final score because the final score is just the <laughs> unbelievable shocker that is this game. And to think that the 2010 Bills, the 2010 Bills were tied for last in the AFC with Cincy and Denver at four and 12. They were abysmal. I I remember just like 2010 was a rough, rough year. And here we are opening up the year against the defending AFC West champs, 10 and six the previous year in 2010. 
Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead with a Jamal Charles. And you're just like, this is just going to be a disaster. Jamal Charles, especially as long as he's healthy, you're just like, he's going to average five and a half yards of carry plus, and he's just going to run all over you. Prime Jamal Charles, I loved watching. He was, he was a guy, even though I knew his injuries were coming, I wanted him in fantasy just because I wanted to root for him even more. I wanted it to work. I loved Jamal Charles. So anyways, we go into this game. And it's, I'm just putting you in the mindset of me. I'm just like, I almost, I almost just didn't even want to watch it. I, re, I remember this is um like, I was, I was at my parents' house for some reason. And I was just like, they were like, oh, do you want to watch the game? Cause at this point, like my parents didn't even give a shit. They had just recently gotten rid of their season tickets. They, they kind of didn't care anymore. You know, they, they, there was an, it was an interesting time in everyone's life. And I was like, ah, I guess, you know, throw, throw it on the TV, whatever. Right. I, I'm expecting an absolute slaughter. And all of a sudden the bills are just, it's kind of similar to the Colts game where it's like, okay, they they're holding them and then they're going down and scoring and then they're holding the, the chiefs and then they're going down and scoring. Next thing, you know, we're up 20, nothing with like six minutes left in the second, something like that. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like this is the craziest game I've ever like watched in my life when it comes to just expectation reality. I want to say the Bills were double digit underdogs. I I don't know this for certain and I was trying to look it up real quick before the pod and before we started recording. But I want to say if they weren't double digit, they were like nine and a half point dogs. They were massive dogs considering week one. And they I mean, they look like the better team. And this is a team that had just gone to the playoffs. Now the Chiefs uh, that year, the year prior, did then get absolute the doors blown off of them essentially by the Ravens in their own house. But I mean, they were a good team. It was Todd Haley. I mean, it was Matt Castle at quarterback, but at that point, you know, they were competent enough. Again, they had Jamal Charles at offense, and then I mean, Steve Breston. Yeah, he was he was the best third wheel for the Cardinals, and then didn't really work out in Kansas City, but. He was still an okay receiver and all that. I mean, they were a good enough team and the bills were just handling them. And like our leading tackler that day was uh, Brian Scott. Like if you would tell me that Brian Scott's going to have nine tackles, a sack and a forced fumble, I believe it was something like that. I would have thought you're crazy. Like, what are we doing? Like it, 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 Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fred Jackson, Stevie Johnson, all said and done final score 41, seven. And we dominated in Kansas city. Like even when the bills were really good in the Super Bowl era, you always heard about you don't want to go to Arrowhead. You don't want to play in Arrowhead. Arrowhead's tough. We know now you don't want to go to Arrowhead. And somehow this team in 2011 that has absolutely no business even being competent at football in that stadium against a team that had just won the division prior goes in and just beats the bricks off of them, just completely shuts them out other than a late first half drive that they scored a touchdown with just absolutely dominated front to back. And it was just, it was, it wasn't even one of those games that like, you know, kind of similar to the Chicago one where you were just like riding high and you're feeling good. Or, you know, as I said, with the Colts one, you're, you're thinking this is a team that's going to do something. I still did not think that team could do anything. Like (laughs) this team is not supposed to win games. This, this team is just there. And somehow they pulled off that game. So, I'm not trying to be negative about it. It was just one of those just absolute shockers where you just, I, I you're watching the four o'clock games and I'm just like, did the bills really just do that? 
the Bills really just go into Arrowhead and just beat the shit out of the Chiefs week one, and we're 1-0, and and the Chiefs are 0-1. Like, what the hell is going on with the NFL? This is going to be a crazy NFL. I remember, that is what I remember. I'm like, this is going to be a crazy NFL year if it keeps going like this. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be leading the Bills to wins on this roster. Shocking. Shocking. So, yeah, I had, with you taking the Bears game from me, that has to be my second pick. You know, that game, for one, was definitely on my list. And so I just looked it up, and it looks like the Bills opened up as six-and-a-half-point underdogs. The game closed wow. five-and-a-half-point underdogs. But like you said, the Chiefs were a playoff team the year before, maybe you know the winner of a bad division, whatever. But the Bills were one of the worst teams in football the year before. And, you know, we had seen a little bit of the Fitzpatrick magic where, you know, like the why so serious game where we had seen like, okay, when he gets hot, like he's pretty good, but it's just, how do you channel his being hot from his games where he's cold and man, he was hot that game. What I remember about this chiefs game is this is where my mindset was as a bills fan at this point, the opening kickoff happens. The bills are kicking off the chiefs start returning it and they fumble it and the bills recover. And I am promising you my reaction was whatever, like they're going to screw this up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's where I was. Like, they're going to get the ball. They're going to go three and out, kick a field goal. and It's not going to matter. That's where my headspace was. I, it's hard to imagine now that happening where I'm like the bills get a fumble and I'm like, oh, whatever. They're going to screw it up. But that's where I was. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then Scott Chandler scores a touchdown in the opening drive. I'm like, oh my God, they actually capped it off with a touchdown. What is this touchdown thing that's happening? Yeah, I felt really good after that game. I, I don't know. I don't know if I chalked it more up to like, okay, the Chiefs were frauds. We knew they were frauds and we just got the hot Fitzpatrick. Like, I don't think I left that game thinking, man, the Bills are serious contenders. But for that day, it was like, man, I'm glad they put it all together and just smashed the Chiefs because it was fun to watch. Yeah, it was just, it was an interesting feeling. Like, that's, as you put it, you were just like, whatever. Pessimism was at its peak with Bills fandom. And it was, it was finally, you got to hold on to something like we just beat the shit out of a team. I mean, how often did the bills beat the crap out of, how often did the bills beat a team by more than 14 points in that stretch? I, it would have to be single digits. It has to be. If you, if you look back probably between, let's say 2009 through 2014, I would almost guess that the amount of times we won by 14 or more points has to be single digits. It has to be. So I would bet so too. Yeah. It's unique territory. It was awesome. It was just, it was different. It was a very different feeling and, and it, it deserves to be on this list. Okay. My final pick, and I'm just going to be short and sweet with it because it's kind of just a final pick of like, I remember watching it as a kid and just this is when like I was just starting to really transition into paying attention to football a little bit more. You know, um, it's right around when Larry Fitzgerald was starting in the league after coming out of pit and things like that with, you know, so that's where my Cardinals fandom even picked up. But it was fun to be a Bills fan because in 2005, the Bills had a brand new toy at quarterback. And they opened up against the Texans. And good old J.P. Lossman was probably the most efficient he has ever been in his career. And we absolutely dominated, I mean, to be fair, an awful Texans team. But we dominated them, and J.P. Lossman looked awesome. And I remember as a little kid, not little, I guess, as a young teen, 
thinking, oh my God, maybe this JP Lossman guy is something. He was fun to watch. He's slinging it around. Although, I mean, slinging it around at that time was like throwing four deep balls and getting one completed. But right. it, it was fun. And Lee Evans was there too. And I think McGahee finished that game with like, you know, 112 yards. And as I pointed out before in a previous episode, Willis McGahee was a childhood favorite of mine back from the U and stuff. So I was still very excited that he was a Bill. And he had a good game. And I rem- I think it was like, you know, 20 something carries, like 22, I'll say, for 112 yards or something like that. Like, and I, it was, a re- and I was at that game. And um, because, one of my parents couldn't make it. Um, it's weird that I can't remember. I was probably with my mother. I, to be honest, I'm always I always end up at these games with my mother because my mother wanted to go to the games more than my dad. It seemed like, but um, yeah, it, I, I remember just being excited. Like you got this new this new rookie quarterback, and he's he's looking good in his debut, and and uh, he's throwing it to Lee Evans and everyone else, and and McGahee's running well. Our defense looked great against. I mean. And again, I know the Texans now were a bad, bad team, but at that point, you didn't know. I mean, there was still Carr there. He was a first overall pick at the time. He, obviously, at that point, he was shot, it seemed like, but it, it was just, it was a nice, warm, comfy win week one with a new offense and just a different team. And it seemed like things were in a very positive direction. So, my, me and my youth was just full of optimism at that point. So to wrap up all of this on my picks, I have to make sure I just take that one because it just brings a warm, fuzzy feeling to myself in my childhood when I think of that game. So I'm going to go with the 2005 opener against the Texans in J.P. Lossman's debut when we won 22 to 7. So about that 2005 Bills is the context of that is they were coming off of the 2004 season where they won a bunch of games down the stretch. And they had a play, basically a, a win and in scenario against Pittsburgh week 17. Now it wasn't truly win and in. They needed the out of town scoreboard to go in their favor, but it was going in their favor. They needed the Jets to lose to the to the Rams in St. Louis. And that did happen. And the Steelers were 15 and one that year. They were 14 and one going into that Bills game, but they had everything locked up home field advantage wise. And Bill Coward already come out and said, hey, we're going to play our backups. And so you're like, man, the bills are, the bills are going to get this win. So all they need to do is have the out of town scoreboard go their way. And they ended up losing to the Pittsburgh backups, but lost in all of that is the bills were one of the hottest teams down the stretch. And they had this elite defense and an offense that was basically good enough with what was really a washed up version of Drew Bledsoe, just, you know, throwing passes to a really talented receiving core of Eric molds and Lee Evans and a great running back with Willis McGahee. And then the day after the season ended, Tom Donahoe made the announcement that they were moving on from Drew Bledsoe and going with J.P. Lossman. And J.P. Lossman had had some high points in preseason. He played really strong against the Broncos, but then he broke his arm in, broke his leg, excuse me, in practice when he got hit by Troy Vincent in a play that was very controversial. And he missed almost half the season and he then it was just a backup quarterback and there was just no reason to really know if that was a good move or not so you go into the 2005 season thinking okay we know our defense is good we know we have Evans and Molt we know we have Willis McGahee so really realistically this could be a playoff team if JP Lossman is just decent so you're kind of in that opener against the Texans and the Texans to your point were a really bad team thinking okay well if we're going to be anything we got to beat the Texans. 
and you're just braced for it. Please, please, JP Lossman, don't be a train wreck. Be as good as we hoped you could be. And he comes out and he looks solid. He's not great, but it's his first start. And he's essentially a rookie. He's in his second year, but he's essentially a rookie. Throws his first touchdown pass to tackle eligible Jason Peters, which is amazing. And the Bills win, and you're just like, man, maybe, maybe, maybe we have something here. The bar was not super high by Bledsoe in 2004, despite all the wins the Bills got down the stretch. Bledsoe was not the reason they won. So it's not like Lossman had to be great. He just needed to be decent enough and not make mistakes and move the chains when the opportunity was there. Unfortunately, he couldn't end up doing that. But on that day, he gave us a lot of hope. So I co-signed. That was a very fun opening day. My last pick. And I will say, I did not specify on Twitter earlier that this is a drought-only opener. So... I, I kind of figured we should leave it more open just because, you know, there's not as many games to choose from. Mm-hmm. So I am going with a post drought game and I'm going to go back to the 2019 season. The bills open up on the road against the New York jets. And now the context here is important. What you had in the bills and the jets were at the time, two teams that were very much in the 2018 quarterback derby. If you remember, the Bills had two first-round picks. The one they traded, uh, the one that they traded um, with Kansas City when Kansas City traded up to get Patrick Mahomes. The Bills had the twenty-first pick from them and the twentieth pick for themselves. And then, uh, about a month before the draft, the Bills take the twentieth pick and swap with the Bengals at twelve, and they send Cordy Glenn to Cincinnati. And it's like, oh my God, the Bills are going to get in range to get one of these great quarterbacks. And then a couple days later. The Jets go out and they send the sixth pick and a few second round picks to the Colts to get to that third overall spot. And then it really felt like it was a it was an arms race for the Bills and Jets to see who get in that quarterback mix. And none of us knew who the great quarterbacks were going to be at that point in time. It was just you want the Bills to get in position to get their guy. So the Jets obviously took Sam Darnold at three overall. The Bills trade up and get JP Lossman. The Bills trade up and get Josh Allen at seven overall. So as their rookie seasons go on, it was up and down for both of those guys. Josh Allen obviously had the splash plays we all remember. He had the injury. Sam Darnold very much had a similar season where he started off hot, got injured, struggled, came back after his injury, had some high moments. Sam Darnold's rookie year was not all bad. He and Josh Allen, I would say, after their rookie years were very, very similar. So going into the 2019 season, it was a situation where... It was like, which one of these teams is going to take off? Both of these teams have been preparing themselves for life after Tom Brady in this division. Which one of these quarterbacks is going to establish himself as the next great quarterback in this division? The Bills had gone out and signed John Brown and Cole Beasley, but the Jets were aggressive also in the offseason. They went out and paid big money for Le'Veon Bell. They signed Jamison Crowder, who at the time was considered a better free agent acquisition than Cole Beasley. That would not turn out to be the case. But the Jets were considered a team that, like the Bills, had been aggressively building around their young quarterback. And Luca, this game started off so awful for the Bills. Um, Josh Allen throws a pass to Cole Beasley, goes off of his hands, it's a little bit low, bounces right into the arms of C.J. Mosley, and he returns it for a touchdown. And then Josh Allen had had a play where he got blindsided by a defender and fumbled. And I remember getting on Twitter and it's like, Josh Allen is melting down. And I remember thinking like, 
I don't know if I'd call this a meltdown. It feels like there's been more like bad circumstances where a ball goes off of Beasley's hands or he gets sacked and fumbled. And there was a play where Darnold throws a touchdown pass to Bell and they go for two and Darnold's scrambling around and it's almost like he throws a Hail Mary on the on the two yard line and Bell comes down with it. And you're just kind of resigned to the fact like, man, everything that can go wrong is going wrong. The Bills are sitting here down 16 to nothing. They can't get anything going offensively. And then the next three drives, they go field goal. And then Josh Allen goes down and runs for a touchdown. And then one of my favorite plays in early Josh Allen career, the Bills are down 16 to 10 late in the fourth quarter. And Josh Allen converts a third down pass to John Brown down the sideline, wins a jump ball, runs in for the end zone, and the Bills take a 17 to 16 lead. Amazingly, the defense holds off. The Bills get a big win in New York. Now, look, it's not like that game was definitely a statement that the Bills were better than the Jets, right? They won 17 to 16. It was a flip of the coin game. Our guy made the play at the end. But to me, the way that game was going, it just felt like it was the Jets day. Everything that could go their way was going their way. Darnold wasn't overly impressive. He was just kind of managing the ship. And the Bills just could kept throwing up all over themselves on offense. And it just felt like, man, we're really going to have to live with the national media criticizing Allen after this game. And that wasn't the case. He came back to win. It was exciting. I was so stoked because I had seen enough from Allen his rookie year to feel like, man, we might be onto something here. He needs to, he needs to iron it out a little bit, you know, clean up some things, and to show that moxie in the fourth quarter. Like nowadays, we just expect Josh Allen to come through in the fourth quarter. We feel all confident in the world, but to see him do it for really the first time on the road in that scenario, opening day when every team has belief, really, really cool to see. And that's my third pick. I respect you bending uh, or taking the liberties that you yourself had put out there. I, I respect it. It's also a great pick. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it was, I, it was a tale of two halves. It was a classic tale of two halves as you, you painted a beautiful picture of it was, I, I remember sitting in my living room watching that game and just being like, Oh my God. At that point, as you put it, like Darnold, Allen, not much separating them. They're both from the same class. Obviously, the comparisons are all there with that entire class and everything. And we all know where I stand. And when you had said no one knew you know, who got the better one yet, I was very confident. And at halftime, maybe less confident, but I was very confident that the Bills had the better one. And it wasn't seeming that way. Well, turn around. It's not like that all of a sudden proved my point, but it was nice to get the win after being down and things like that. And it's almost like, okay, here we go. And then, of course, everything went in a positive direction from there with the Bills. Everything went kind of in a negative direction from there with the Jets and Sam Darnold. And uh, I look at that game as when my take of the 2018 quarterback draft really took off because if I remember correctly... I'm trying to think, when did Lamar win MVP? Was it 2019? It was 2019, yeah. Yeah, so that was the season when really my my list of the 2018 quarterbacks really did a great job. We already were good with Josh Rosen, thank God. And uh, you know, I knew that one sat comf- comfortably where it needed to be, as I put it. And uh, yeah, that, that game is when it really, as a personal, just me as a fan of football, was what jump-started my 2018 quarterback rankings were right and everyone else was apparently wrong 
but then as a Bills fan, yeah, it was a it's a great opener. It's, it was a really good feel good. There's a there's a personal story that I won't get into on the air and everything like that. But uh, that large group text that I'm in, all of them were there at that game. And when I tell you it was a tale of two halves, <laughs> I mean, the texts that were coming in and the pictures and stuff like that and the emotional reactions I was getting from all of them at that game were wild. And um, they were only there for the circumstances that I don't want to get into and stuff like that. Um, you know, not that it's like super negative or anything like that. It's just an, it's an, you know, an interesting thing an inside thing. I'll keep it, you know, among that group and stuff. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's a fun game to look back on. Like it, it's definitely a fun one to be like, that's when, cause obviously the 2018 rookie year with Josh Allen, you can kind of just chalk up of, you know, the raw talent being raw and it is what it is in 2019. And that game was really what started the progression of Josh Allen and uh, did a great job. And it's a great pick. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to wrap that up with, I respect you. I, I didn't pay close enough attention to your tweet. You, you <laughs> did not specify drought era. I, I, I commend you. I give you a, I give you an applause for that. That's well done. So, well done. So what did we leave off? I think that Seattle game where Ryan Denny caught a touchdown pass is one that I think stands out. There were some close calls in there too, where games that could have been a lot of fun for the Bills on opening day didn't go their way. The McKelvin game, really. EJ Manuel's first start was also against New England, and they lost at the very end on a Steven Goskowski field goal. Um, that would have been really cool to see EJ Manuel come in like fresh first start and beat New England. That would have been so amazing. Um, JP Lostman in 2006 had the Bills in position to beat New England in Foxborough. Um, until he took a sack in the end zone where he just kept running backwards. And Vince Wilfork after the game was like, he kept, kept running backwards. So I just waited until he got to the end zone to tackle him. It's like, why is this our life? <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably it. I mean, the other ones that were like close calls were just flat out disappointing. Like the, the loss against the jets where Chad Morton had two kickoff returns for touchdown, including one in overtime. That was awful. Um, 2004 where it felt like the bills had finally had a team that could go out and win, you know, maybe make the playoffs. They lose to Jacksonville on the Ernest Wilford play in the end zone. I was going to say the, the one that always sticks out to me is like the week one disappointment. And the one that I really remember for multiple reasons was the, the push out rule, like the most ridiculous rule in the like sports, like what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Push out the force out rule. Oh my God. But no, I remember it because, yeah, it was a heartbreaker against Jacksonville. And then my my father brings in a blacked out, blacked out mother of mine who was hysterical and just all over the place. And he, he just goes, your mom had a good time, too good of a time. And also like hit like three Jags fans on the way out. Oh, was she like, was oh, at wow, the game. Wow. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. They were still season ticket holders at that point. And uh, they sat like 35 yard line bill side. Um yeah, real nice seats. Um, but yeah, my mom liked to enjoy herself from time to time. And <laughs> once in a while, it got out of hand. And uh, yeah, that's I, I will always remember it because it was the stupid rule with the force out rule. And I saw I think that's honestly probably the last time I ever saw my mom like blacked out drunk. Like she was just <laughs> absolutely sauced. And my dad was just like, like embarrassed, but laughed about it. But at the same time, I with if you knew my father, he does not like being embarrassed. Yeah, it's not his his cup of tea. So when 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 he brought her home and plopped her on the couch like he did, I could still picture it like yesterday. He just went right upstairs and I'm like, huh, he doesn't seem too thrilled. Get me away from this person, basically. 
yeah, it was, uh, it, it, that memory will stay in my head forever, but, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's the week one. If you want to talk about just in general, like not favorite, just week one, that that's the one that to probably to the day I die, I will remember that one. Yeah. I, I just remember being in shock because the whole game, I mean, the bills only scored, I want to say 13 or even 10 points. I think they lost 13 to 10. Yeah. They lost 13, 10. And, but the whole game, it was Jacksonville could not do anything. And then, there was a fourth down play where left, which is threw it up for grabs and Nate Clements went for an interception instead of just knocking it down. And then even then you felt like, man, they're still not going to get it in the end zone. And then he throws that and you're right. And then that the referee comes in and as soon as they, they make the force out, there oh. is just nothing you can do about it. Cause oh. once they rule as a force out, then it doesn't matter if the feet come down and bounds or not. They've ruled it as a force out. So you're screwed. You just have to hope he didn't catch the ball. It was just a ridiculous, it was a ridiculous rule to make. Like what kind of ruling is the force out? And then like when you watch it, you would never get both feet down. Like it would never happen. It would, his body would never have, I, you'd have to have elite body control to get your feet down even without being pushed. Oh yeah. Enough about that. Side note about that game. Lawyer Malloy was not active for that game because he broke his arm um, in week three of preseason against Indianapolis. And I knew his arm was broken because I was at that game and I was standing outside by the team bus when Laura Miller was getting on the bus and he comes over and starts talking to some of us. And I was like, Hey, how's your arm doing? And he goes, that's ah, broken, man. I'm sorry. And I'm like, oh. if I had any way of breaking news, I would do this right now, but I'm just a fan sitting here and Twitter doesn't exist before the day of Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then Travis Brown also got injured in that game. Bledsoe came over and talked to us for a little bit. And he's like, because JP Lossman had already gotten hurt in preseason. Travis Brown got hurt. And I, I said a comment to Bledsoe. I was like, man, you better not get hurt. He's like, no doubt, dude, no doubt. Which looking <laughs> back on, it's like, of course I should tell him not to get hurt. Like now you can't get hurt before you clearly could. Um, anyway, not my finest moment as a fan. Yeah, it happens. All right, Luca. Well, we talked about some of our favorite opening game memories. Next time we're on the air, we will know who the Bills are opening up with in the 2022 season it'll be exciting to go through that schedule break down all the primetime games how we think the schedule sits and really just kind of look at well we'll know the path for the bills in the regular season we know the ultimate destination is the playoffs and hopefully the super bowl but you got to get through the regular season to get there and we're going to have a lot better idea what that regular season looks like the next time we're on the air so we will see you next week when we break down the Bills schedule on Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. Follow us on Twitter if you're not already at Bill's Chat Pod. And also be sure to subscribe to this channel on whatever platform it is you choose to spend your time listening to us every week. Look forward to talking to you all again next time.